Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man. And you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Turnchuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me is the macho man Randy Savage to my Art Donovan. But <laughs> I wondered what it would be this time. <laughs> well, hopefully I won't get ignored and then have my mic turned off uh, halfway through the show. Uh, <laughs> you know how much people wear though. <laughs> um, well, I could give it a good guess. All I know is that one, two, three kid looks like a boxer and that double J is a cutie. Um it's Tempest. Hello. Hello. We're, we're fooling people, though. We're not talking about King of the Ring 94. No, we're not. In fact, we are a whole year before. <laughs> I didn't have a good reference for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're talking King of the Ring 93. It is June. It is. It's For me, it's the spring event. Uh, for Tempest, it's definitely not the spring event. Um, <laughs> spring? Why is it spring in June? Spring, isn't it? Well, when spring stampedes... In the spring, <laughs> no, right? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in like April or May. That's still basically winter, man. <laughs> it is up, yeah. <laughs> I class it as a spring event, but it probably isn't really. I'm, well, I'm that's... pretty sure you're in a minority thinking June's in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, SummerSlam is counted as a summer event, but they never do that until like the end of August. That's basically winter. the end of summer. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's autumn before winter. It's not it's, just winter, 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 summer slam, winter. <laughs> Again, tell that to the you know the weather in this country. Aye, true. Um, <laughs> when it snows and, in June. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're talking King of the Ring night three. But uh, before we get into that, uh, yeah, we've, we've been uh, been away for a couple of weeks, and uh, we want to get uh, everything back on track. We're kind of relaunching the YouTube channel. Uh, we are. You know we've got plenty. We've got some great guests lined up on bgwrestling.com as well. Uh, I've been uh, interviewing Todd Pettingill. We did two interviews, and we were except Hannibal. I feel like right now that we. I mean, we are podcasters, and I guess I'm also a, a merchandise reviewer. I guess so. I feel like we can just openly slag off other podcasters and merchandise reviewers now. <laughs> I feel, I feel like it's fine. As if I didn't always. No, but yeah, no, you you always did. But like, I feel, I feel like I've always like needed to sort of tread some kind of a line. But I think you could listen to a million podcasts to hear people tread some kind of line. Uh, lines are for snorting, not for treading. Fuck that. <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, Todd um, did uh, part two of our interview, which uh, was you know, widely well received. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a hard thing because we went into so much of his career the first time around. So the second time it was more, I guess, random, uh, but obviously stuff connected to his career, talking about the NXT takeover in your house. And then mm-hmm. we did our debut episode of Hands Off the Merchandise on YouTube, where the premise is we will, I will show the guest pieces of merchandise and 
you know, hopefully connected to the person's career and we talk about their career, not necessarily about the merchandise. We're not going to look at a mug and describe the mug for like half an hour. Um, the guest or the merch? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Pettengill also did uh, Hannibal. He was, oh God, the worst interviewer in the entire world. You'll probably challenge me to a MMA match now or try to book me in some kind of really shit worked angle. But um I still barely know who he is, you know. I know you always get pissed off about him, but to me, Hannibal's either Lecter or the fella who rode an elephant. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he wishes he was that interesting, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, Todd uh, also did the interview with him as well. So, I, And I would say to support Todd, go and check out the Hannibal interview, not to support Hannibal. Hannibal. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so apart from that, uh, interviewed Henry Godwin. That show will be up quite soon. Interviewed one of the lads who filmed The Curtain Call. That was that was very interesting because the thing is, it, he's sick to death of talking about The Curtain Call now. So naturally, we did an interview with him about The Curtain Call. <laughs> well, no, that, well, no, that's the thing. I, I tried to ask him different questions that he's never been asked before. And then we also started talking about rare wrestling themes as well. Um, and I think he was kind of pleasantly surprised that we did go off topic and start talking about things that he's never talked about on a podcast before. Um, so there, the, uh, the Curtain Call Kid episode is up. The Todd episodes are up. Uh, still to come, digging into the archives. Did you sing him a little theme? So you could be like, the Curtain Call Kid is strong. <laughs> he's been asked that shit enough. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I've got to get you involved in these. Um, is that- <laughs> and so we're also digging the archives as well. Uh, and these are shows that aren't available online at the moment. And, uh, you know, since the old website got taken down. So now they're going to be on bbgwrestling.com. My interview with Dangerous Danny Davis, uh, that was when he was holding a Kickstarter for his new book. The book is now out and I highly recommend you get it through WO. HW Publishing uh, with Kenny Casanova, who also, you know, was a great interview on uh, BBG Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, do you remember Bull Cut Kid? Rage Face Bull Cut Kid. Uh, He was on some WCW shows. Oh, yes, yes, I do. Sorry, I I thought you said Ball Cut. (laughs) I don't think I want to know him. (laughs) Yeah, he was always, he was on some WCW shows, but mainly WWF shows, and he would always hog the camera and just... Go mug ah, like yeah. mad. Yeah, I know who you mean. Mug like mad. So yeah, he was. I think his name uh, is uh, not not real name is um, Rage Face Bold Cut Kid. So like you know, um, I really wanted that to be like what he was christened. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to live up to your name now, son. <laughs> just at like graduation and just you know when he's on the toilet and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, no, he was a lot of fun as well. So those are two shows from the archives and much more to come as well. So very excited about that. Um, so what have you been watching? Like what's, what's uh, been tickling you over the past couple of weeks, wrestling-wise? I actually dipped a toe into a few modern shows as well. I'd been down a Mid-South rabbit hole, but thanks to our Mid-South Monday companions on BBG who write a little blog about, I'd say little blog, sorry, that sounds like I'm being disrespectful. I read it. I like it. They write a blog on Mid-South Wrestling each week. And I thought, you know what, I'll start watching this. So I've somehow already watched eight months worth of Mid-South <laughs> Wrestling in like three or four days. So I went well down that rabbit hole. But um, I watched the, I actually watched Backlash, you know, and I haven't watched a WWE pay-per-view for ages. Good Lord. And I was mostly pleasantly surprised. Like, 
the production's still some of the most unwatchable shit I've ever seen. But um, apart, this is a bizarre statement to say, but apart from when people got ate by zombies, I generally thought that was quite a good pay-per-view, and I don't like WWE, so, you know, it was pretty enjoyable. I really felt for Miz and Morrison having to do that, like, Saved by the Bell style acting off whatever that terrible script was. Well, fucking zombies followed them and then ate them. I hope they're not going to be on telly again because they've been pooed out somewhere by the undead. But <laughs> what, what what a way to ruin it! What was a pretty great show. Like I only watched it because Rey Mysterio and Dominic were getting a, a shot at becoming what I think was going to be the first father son tag champions of WWE. So I was like, oh, there's a hook for me. Like, I'll go and watch that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I enjoyed everything about it, apart from the fucking zombies, which is no one has a right to ever shit on Robocop and WCW or like WCW and Baywatch or anything like that. Because the zombie thing is the worst thing I've ever seen happen in wrestling. <laughs> that's that's quite a that's quite a statement. I haven't I didn't see backlash, and maybe I should just to see. I'm sure I would maybe enjoy the show, but I do need to see the zombie thing. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want such car crash, you know, stuff that you This is watch. beyond car crash. Like this this right. made Rousseau seem like Shakespeare. <laughs> this was this was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh... And I've seen some dumb shit. But yeah, it, it it does a disservice to only watch it for how shit that zombie stuff is, because the rest of the show was actually very good. And and that's um, that's the thing I'm sure you would, I would imagine that you would not deny how good WWE, you know, how great a lot of WWE's roster is. It's just oh, without the, a doubt. the way they're positioned, the way they have to portray themselves on TV, the shit scripts. The scripts they're given, exactly. yeah, exactly. It's not their fault. And, and that's the thing, uh, you know, I think if we start going into that, we'll start sounding like most podcasts out there <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah I'm, I'm not about to sit here and tell you how bad Raw is for three hours because I'm sure everybody knows that all they need to do is watch Raw to find out. Yeah. But, did, um, did you watch that thing where, who got scared by the doll a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> Shayna Baszler, the spooky raggy doll, which wasn't a member of the Dungeon of Doom. It was literally a fucking raggy doll that was spooky. <laughs> Yeah, that that was some bad shit as well. Next warrior appearing in the mirror looks sensible. uh, I just imagine the raggy dolls being played really slowly and in a minor key. Toys like you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. So, um, and obviously, the the AEW pay per view as well. That was that was pretty good. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, and give me fun car crash over boring production. Like you know, oh, absolutely. There were. I think we differ on opinions on a couple of the matches because I, I thought if if I'm going to put me critique hat on, which I don't put on too often, really, like with new stuff, um, I thought the Bucks match probably went too long um, and that they did a lot of their big moves early on. So it kind of made a lot of stuff a bit meaningless and it made the hot tags meaningless when they were kind of, you know, they would get one person and beat them up for ages. He'd finally make the hot tag, and but then they'd cut them off. And that happened probably about three or four times. Um, Aye, it's just a stylistic thing that I don't suppose you've seen as much of, though, is it? Like, I no. kind of got what they were doing with the story as well. Like, they did so much of the big stuff, and it took, like, some ridiculous, like, six BDE triggers, double BDE triggers to Moxley's head or something to, to write him off. It's like... If he can resist everything, we'll just have to turn his heat into soup with Vinny's. <laughs> See, I <laughs> that's feel, how we'll write them off. I feel though that that's the kind of stuff that they could 
drag out over like a series of matches instead of like putting it all in one match. I mean, wasn't Moxley? No, I'd meant agree to, with that. I mean, Moxley was meant to die when the the pyro went off as well. So it's just like the, you know things. I, are... I know, but we all know how that went. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Things are like sharply Talc forgotten. Fought, spark the death match. He was never going to get written off for that, was he? <laughs> yeah, they're desperate to get him actually off TV now, so he can be a dad, I guess. I saw the books just had to literally kick his fucking head in on TV. <laughs> and, and and I know you weren't you weren't overly keen on the Cody match, but like I actually thought it was a change of pace because it was just a no frills wrestling match for a little bit, whereas everything else was kind of you know it was no frills, but I didn't think it was much of a wrestling match either. Like mm. I if the, if it was going to be anywhere after such an intense and high paced match that the crowd was so into as the books match, I guess it makes sense to have something that's really shit that calms the crowd down afterwards because the crowd <laughs> fucking hated that. And so did I. Like, <laughs> but it wasn't think- a go-go's fault. I hated the story. I, I can't oh, believe Cody's meant to be a baby face. Just that, that match was just the only turd in the punch bowl. I, I did hate the story lead. I mean, it, I'm sure it's been talked about loads, but like good. good no, I'm sure it has. I never like geopolitics in wrestling, as you know. Yeah. Well, so that's our, is that us is that a quarter for new wrestling? Oh, I watched the that NWA pay per view that um when shadows fall or whatever it was called. How was that? I, I actually enjoyed it. I know a lot of people weren't that kind to it, but uh, I enjoyed it. I had a belt that opening. I had like loads of proper sick guitarists like um Michelangelo Batio and that playing all this like good crazy metal thing with a really cool video while they were um showing you like video packages for all the matches it was one of the best openings i've seen on a show in ages that's really cool i think it feels after you know covid and everything that nwa had now have an upward hill to climb and i think people are probably unfairly writing them off without seeing what they are doing currently i um, think so too doesn't it doesn't make it easier that it was free on youtube and now you pay for it on fight i guess yeah. so like loads of people were watching it for now and then it's like, oh, well, if I've got to pay £5 a month for someone to see what it's like, I'm not going to bother. Do you think it's made it a better show, though, now you have to pay for it? Nah. No? I enjoyed this pay-per-view, but, like, it, I've, I've been giving them some leeway because of COVID and that, but, like, the actual shows of power doesn't feel as exciting as it did before. But, like, I'm just glad they're still going, and I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll recover. Yeah, and... and... It's important that the NWA survives, no matter who owns it, and even if it is a heritage brand and that. To me, at least, as a wrestling fan, that's history and prestige, and like it, that does matter to me. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, as they've shown, they will, especially with the recent round of, like, firings and all that kind of stuff, mm. I think they would be a bit more selective on who they brought in and potentially make it mean more. It, like the, the W thing, it's like Mark Henry meant loads for about two minutes until you know Andrade came out, and then yeah, he and was it's like, like here's your next toy. It's like Christmas, <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah, no. So um, th- that's you know, I, I don't think I've really watched any other new wrestling since, and I haven't watched NXT in your house yet. For shame, I've got to watch it, uh, you know, for Todd as much as anything else. Oh, of course. <laughs> and Ted Teddy Biasi's there as well, and I did ask him. Uh, last night, because I'm, I'm, tr- I was saying like, look, if Vince is around, can you just like drop a copy of me CD next to him? I was like, you know what I mean, like that kind of thing. Um, 
or wear wear like a toxic melons t-shirt or bbg wrestling t-shirt or just like accidentally call adam cole by my name or something like that um <laughs> so i don't know if he did that or not so we'll uh... bring alex tempered i mean adam cole. <laughs> <laughs> but he was in the same building as teddy biasi which i kind of marked out over because they were the final hosts of all american wrestling when uh they actually put a lot of money into it they, they it looked like it was being hosted from teddy biasi's mansion for a little bit cool. and, uh pettingill said he had the most fun on that show with teddy biasi more than anyone else um and you know the outtakes would be hilarious to see uh you would think savage would potentially be the most fun co-host but uh and he had a lot of fun with him but dibiasi uh, a very forgotten about period of all american as well um so i did ask if they would get a picture so when was this this was uh mid 1994 it didn't last long as i don't think i've seen all american wrestling yeah all american i mean that started in what like 83 84 i want to say maybe a little bit beforehand and uh um, right and blasted all the way until 1994 so they must have done like a 10th anniversary thing and then i believe all american was replaced with action zone uh as the sunday show uh, which I, don't, was, I don't remember Action Zone either. Well, well it, Action Zone was kind of like, as with most, as we showed with the Shotgun uh, review show, they come up with an idea and then they get bored of it in about five minutes and then they turn it into Aye. a recap show or a squash match B show. Like Action mm. Zone was meant to be no interviews, no no, no frills away. Just action. Just action. And Makes they, sense. They opened it with Brett and Owen. Uh, and that must have been good. It was really. It was one. Was that of the, a match specifically for that, or was that something they'd done? Like, no, no. Was it, it something from another event? No, it was for that show. And and the That's the, cool. the gimmick was that, uh, or the stipulation was, is that Owen this was his last shot at the title, and this led to then Owen managing Backlund to help get the belt off Brett, so that Owen could then become the towel toss and all that. Yeah, no, not a lot of people remember this Brett and Owen match, but it was really good. And this is uh, really one of them. <laughs> I, again, Action Zone was largely forgotten, I think. Yeah, I was that on telly over here? Yeah, yeah, made it over here. Um, oh, that's cool. And I don't, it didn't last too long. It lasted until, I want to say, late 96, early 97, because it then became a studio show hosted by Todd Pettengill and Doc Hendricks. Uh, and then it was strictly a review show at that point. Um, mm. And then I don't know off the top of my head what that got replaced by. Uh, but yeah, no action zone. We might do an action. <laughs> we might do an action zone review at some point if we can find any, because there's none on the network. So, um, it's oh, not, all right. not all the mid south you've been watching. Has that all been on the network? It's all on the network. Yeah, I just started from the beginning of where they're at. So like, they started in late '81, and then I'm up to like mid summer of '82 uh, at the minute. It's DiBiase's just turned heel and feuding oh. with the dog and all that. It's good. It's good times. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's quite comprehensive because I've got to say I've not visited the mid south area of the network because I've I've I got a couple of DVDs, the ones that Bill Watts' wife released, and they were pretty comprehensive. Um, and I've got the WWE compilation as well, which I was hoping would have a documentary on it, but it's got you know talking heads in between the matches. Uh, but it is pretty comprehensive. The network selection then. It's pretty good. I've got the weekly TV on. So the, it's the only downside you always get when you watch the old territory stuff is the build up the house shows you're never going to see. <laughs> so you go and watch oh. it now, and then some other cunt has the belt when they come out, and you're like, ah, I bet that was good. Oh, mate. <laughs> you know tells, I mean? 
tell us about it. this is why i can't watch things like challenge that much like you can't watch them um you can't binge on them for me because one is load of squash matches and two they're building up msg shows again that you never see you and... never get into no. the good yeah. thing with mid-south is each show is about an hour but feels like they fit about two hours of wrestling into it and i don't mean that like as if it means like it seems long i mean it's action-packed like they cram some shit in so I've been having that as a bingey thing. Like while I'm working, it's just on in the background and like you can get through months at a time because it just draws you in. It's an easy watch. And, and very episodic as well. Like it didn't oh, like, reset the next week or just have a series of squash matches or anything like that. Bill Watts was incredible for that. Uh, yeah. As was Dusty as uh, Booker as well. Or I think he had Dusty mm. as Booker at that point. I could be wrong. He was active talent at the start of 82. I don't know if he was actually booking. It seems like Grizzly Smith is because it's really awkward hearing it. Grizzly Smith brought up like every other minute yeah. when you're watching it because he's the matchmaker and you're like <laughs> <laughs> yeah how yeah. much of the network would have to be deleted though if you had to take off oh, <laughs> if Peacock got wind of that fucking hell they'd never end up getting it up <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I somehow guarantee Peacock is not going to have Mid-South on their thing I, <laughs> I just can't see it I mean I'm actually surprised that they've got the first ECW one night stand on there considering this fire and tables and weapons and all sorts because the right. uh, there's some real violence on that and uh, it'll be interesting to see where Peacock goes with it but uh, as MSG uh, curtain call kid uh, you know pointed out he's sick of his life because he has to deal with peacock um and not have immediate access to stuff so he's reverting back to his dvds and vhs and stuff like that we'll all do it eventually i was gonna say hi <laughs> yeah um anyway so king of the ring 93 yes you know the first thing i noticed with king of the ring 93 mm-hmm. that king of the ring coat of arms really looks like the millwall crest <laughs> <laughs> The big gates of the Millwall crest on. I thought, I mean, if you had to pick a football team and you want to go English, they're probably the fightiest like fans you could think of. So <laughs> Millwall's probably the right choice. But hi, those lions reminded me a lot of going to the old den. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I, I love the theme tune as well because it starts off proper regal with the trumpet, like, and Vince is just he's gargled gravel. To sort of, you know, do this promo of the top. Um, <laughs> but then it goes into like this sort of high p- like pace sort of like sports music. Like, and it has a very sporting feel to it when he's talking about the uh the brackets for the King of the Ring. But it's a pretty sporty show, this one, which is quite rare for WWF. It's probably why I really liked it. It is. That's definitely one thing that I wanted to bring up. I and mean, I mean before we get into the event, uh, because I've got some of the I guess whatever the equivalent of smart, not dirt cheap, uh, but certainly sort of more smart magazines from the UK from that time uh, in 93. And mm-hmm. people are writing in, even in 93, talking about how shit WrestleMania 9 was, but how amazing King of the Ring was in comparison. And I, I do get it in terms of match quality and stuff like that. It's uh, satisfaction, like finishes satisfaction as well. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's the main reason, but apart from like, once one person starts shitting on an event, everybody shits on the same event to not feel left out, and most of them haven't even seen it. One of the main reasons I think so many pe- people kick off about 93, the, the sorry, the mania in 93, is how bland a lot of the actual match finishes are. So then people just think the whole match was shite, if that makes sense, even though it wasn't. Yeah, no, I agree. And especially, I think a lot of the problem as well is that 
with some of these matches that have had feuds behind them, you would think Mania would be the blow-off. But in, the, in some cases, Mania they was felt just... like the, TV angles. Um, well, yeah, it was just the start of the feud, or at least the continuation of the feud. Whereas King of the Ring feels just like a house show to me, a really good, high-quality house show. Um, because it doesn't involve a lot... The, the storylines are contained within the night, if you get what mm. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't. Ha- you can watch that event without any context, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I had very little context there for watching it because I had the old tag classic of it years and years ago, and I'd seen it. Now I remembered enjoying King of the Ring '93, but I've not seen it since then. Uh-huh. So you're probably going at least 10, 15 years. So I couldn't remember it well, and it really didn't matter for watching this this event because, as you say, the stories were self-contained narratives. Yeah. Well, this uh, King of the Ring. Um, it drew about 6,500 fans, uh, which again adds to the kind of house show feel. It's at the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, uh, which is... How do you re- end up calling somewhere the Nutter Center? <laughs> is everybody probably, mental? <laughs> it's probably owned by like Jonathan Nutter or something, though. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, or it could be named after a football team or something like that, like Knickerbocker Arena or whatever. What football team is that named after? I don't remember the being Nick Abaka football team. Isn't that basketball though? Yeah, it might be. I don't know much about basketball. Well, <laughs> I think sure I'm too, ru- too rural to understand basketball. <laughs> well, the thing is, as well, they, they rarely did pay per view. They did a lot of house shows at the, at the Nutter Center. And I think we've talked about this before. If not, I talked about it with Foxy when we did the, the Coliseum video shows. Is that I can tell mm. that arena anywhere because of the yellow staircases. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. They're pretty bright. They're pretty bright, and um, they made a they made a big deal of it being the heartland of America. You hear that mentioned on the build up to the show, and you hear it on the show like all the time. They rarely did view, uh, events, pay per views in the sort of, I guess, Midwest or you know the yeah. center of America because they're not touristy. They're not. I'm guessing well populated with wrestling fans. That's why WrestleMania Eight in Indianapolis was crazy because that was at the the hoosier dome and they filled it out mm-hmm. with about fifty thousand people uh but i'm guessing it's like have... wembley isn't it yeah when well, times you... are hard you go to places where you don't go often and everyone go buys a ticket that's true and i think because of that and i'm guessing i, I don't want to just presume but i'm guessing it's kind of a small like farm city i guess or farm town or something they I don't know up... a lot about it but i do know that Hacksaw Jim Duggan seem to be subtly wearing their state flag. <laughs> you know, he has like the stars and stripes type gear. Uh-huh. When I noticed Hacksaw all the way through, every time I saw the back, I was like, that really looks like the flag of Ohio. <laughs> that might have been a coincidence, but whatever. It might have been, but I don't know. It, it it jumped out to me a few times, and I didn't know if it was something they were doing subtly. No, he, he had worn that gear previously. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> and I think it was either you know when you go to a singlet it's either just for a fresh look or to hide your gut <laughs> aye, aye. I'd be a singlet guy like <laughs> um, so yeah 6,500 people an interesting fact about King of Night Free is that it was the highest drawing on pay-per-view until 1999 um, so not even if any that are better than that afterwards though. as a King of the Ring tournament no um, I, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, night, they promised yeah. some excitement when you look at that lineup. That's true, and and it's a new concept as well. As many things have shown, new concepts will re- do reasonably well because there's intrigue. Uh, you know, the, the I wanted pre- to ask you about that actually, because mm-hmm. like 
I, I don't know if all of our listeners will know, but King of the Ring, they promote this heavily as if it's the first King of the Ring, but it's it's just the first one on pay-per-view, isn't it? This was a frequently done thing in the 80s, wasn't it? It's like a house show thing. Yeah, that's correct. It was done uh, to boost attendance at shows that needed it, basically. And uh, I think a lot of them were, some of the early ones, now don't write me letters, but I think they were done in Providence, Rhode Island, early on because the 97 right. King of the Ring was also done there and they do reference <clears throat> I believe it was 87 to 91 uh, 90 there was no tournament they were all held there and uh, Don Morocco won it in 85 the first one Harley Race won 86 now there are photographs of Harley Race holding because it was a trophy at the time and mm-hmm. uh, obviously he was just normal NWA Harley Race and then he became King Harley Race on TV after that so it was the first time they kind of brought it on the TV. There is footage of this. Now, people believed that these were never recorded, but on the Harley Race tribute video WWF, WWE put out, there's like about five seconds of footage from that show, and everyone who's a footage nerd lost their shit. Because the it must idea. be somewhere. It, it must be somewhere, and there are photographs. There's a great article somewhere online of someone who was at King of the Ring 86, and... I mean, the night probably wasn't even called King of the Ring. It was just a house show with a King of the Ring tournament. The King of the Ring tournament, aye. Um, and it's a it's a weird setup. I think it's in like a baseball stadium, and there are some photographs that ended up on trading cards and stuff like that. Um, and then, oh, I, God, again, don't write me letters, but I know DBRC, Don Morocco, uh, and then Bret Hart also won the King of the Ring uh, tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. in, Brad Hart won it in 91 and I believe he defeated IRS in the finals and then there wasn't a King of the Ring in 92 and then they brought it on the pay-per-view in 93 um, so yeah like you said definitely not a new a new concept but the, the, new the pay-per-view well that's the thing as well that whilst Macho King was king on WF TV they still had a King of the Ring tournament on didn't he pass the crown on to Meng or something like that as well no um, Meng lost it to Duggan on TV Oh, was that it? Right, okay. Uh, but whilst they were doing that, you know, I think DBRC won it in 89. And it, I just don't think you won a crown. I think you either won a trophy or whatever, or just got your hand raised at that point. But it was just an excuse right. to have a tournament. Um, mm. And then, like, and they even did a... Uh, this They did a set of trading cards in, like, 2015, where you got a piece of the King of the Ring 93 banner with a picture of our King of the Ring. So, you know, Morales wasn't under contract, so they had Morocco, DBRC, Harley Race, Billy Gunn, Bret Hart, uh, Austin, Triple H, I believe. And I would have it would have been the greatest trading card of all time, the Bret Hart one, because it's King of the Ring 93, but they used like a 2010 picture of Bret on the card. You know, I and never was, understand stuff like that. Do, oh. do you just want to make people not want to buy this? <laughs> It was really annoying because it would have been, for me, and then, you know, this is a nerdy thing to say, but the greatest trading card of all time, in my opinion. Um, that is a nerdy thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I decided not to buy them. I've got a Regal one, uh, only because it was like a fiver on eBay, and Andy had signed it as well, which I don't think you could do much better than that. Um, I've a signed one's kind of good. Like. Yeah, with the bit of uh, banner as well. So, yeah, uh, 93 uh 6500 in the arena um and there's a 15 minute countdown show which 
is very rare because the countdown shows were usually half an hour. Uh, but it's just it's probably know- meant to be longer. But you see how bright those lights are. Like <laughs> aliens had abducted the rest of the crew for the pre-show, so there's just no chance. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of interesting because Gene uh, Sean Mooney's gone by this point, so Gene Oakland takes the the duties and does it from the the Mania studio actually. So it was probably pre-recorded. Um, but like I say, mm-hmm. only 15 minutes, not really a lot of time to build up the entire event. But there we are. Um, and this wasn't included on the Tag Classic or on the video or anything like that. It's not on the network, neither. No, no. I wish they'd put the countdowns on there. They may now they've got Todd, you know, kind of back in the fold, but um, they don't at the moment. And the uh, dark match for King of the Ring 93, do you know what this was? I don't. The, this was during their uh, relationship with the USWA. Oh, cool. Uh, during the invasion where Vince, you've seen the Vince heel. I have, WWE yes, I have. Fantastic. Like Vince is just amazing here. Um Papa Shango was the USWA champion. Mm-hmm. He was uh, down there on like an American equivalent of a learning excursion, wasn't he? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but but also winning the title though. It wasn't like he was just, you know, oh, yeah, you weren't just there getting jobbed out and that learning the ropes <laughs> like you yeah. it's it's a, it's a learning excursion, but because we're WWE, you will also be their champion. <laughs> Oh, they sent everyone down there, but they, they sent Savage, Brett, and Owen, and Tatanka, who were faces in WWF, but they were heels in uh, in Memphis, which is very weird to see in '93. Um, so the perhaps, Southern Territory fans are going to shit on anything WWE that turns up, though. So it's probably oh, yeah. sensible. And, and Jerry Lawler was masterful, though, because he knew they were seeing WWF at the time when he was on WWF TV as a heel, but mm-hmm. he kind of as a face justified why he said the things he said in WWF as a face. You know what I mean? Like he's a face to these people, but the other people, the the Yankees up North don't get his point of view and all that kind of thing. So it was very smart. It wasn't just trying to work on the tribalism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, couldn't get him booed in Memphis though. Like he, (laughs) he could come out and instead of having a match, he could just boil kittens and people would still be like, Jerry, Jerry, because he's in Memphis. (laughs) Oh god! Um, Pat Bishango beat Owen Hart in the uh, in the dark match at uh, King Eat of the Lord. Ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Owen, your brother's going to be King of the Ring, and you're going to get beat by the vomity voodoo guy <laughs> in the dark match as well. In the dark match, at least no one will see it. That would be the only thing I would be grateful of if I was Owen. Hey, well, nothing's uh, nothing's off limits now. That's nothing against network. Charles Wright. You understand it as just again, it's the gimmick I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. Um, but I mean, when they started doing the unreleased matches and stuff, like that was my dream for them to start just put every dark match they've ever had on pay per view on a DVD or do it on hidden gems. But I'm guessing the DVDs didn't sell and they've stopped updating hidden gems. Uh, so, like, I don't know if we'll ever get to see it now. Mm. Um, just to show you where Owen was at as well, he was also on the dark match at SummerSlam against Barry Horowitz, but at least he won that match. Dear God, if you lost against you're reconsidering your career, like it's certainly in '93 before the start of his uh, minor winning streak, that. you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, Papa Shango defeats Owen Hart, and then the event starts. And like you say, the the most notable, immediately notable thing for me is how bright the arena is. Yep, alien abduction. <laughs> Well, I mentioned that, uh, and this is the you kind get of thing- a tan in them lights. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the, the, I mentioned 
uh, similar stuff to Tom Buchanan because he had to use lighting for his photography. Must have and, been hell. <laughs> well, I mean, for some uh, for some arenas it was. He hated the Manhattan Center. He hated Trump Plaza because just the lighting was just all shot of shit. Um, and it was very hard to get good photographs. Uh, but a King of Ring 93, if you notice, uh, this is bit nerdy and i don't know enough to know what i'm talking about but it to, you can see <laughs> that's that, my life <laughs> <laughs> well the, the lights it's white light instead of like not even I couldn't tell my eyes had solar flares <laughs> <laughs> well they would use like pink and blue lights and stuff to kind of i guess soften the lighting or um or they would can like if you put light beams together they will make a different color and all that kind of thing but this was solid white and um yeah, it was uh, very noticeable. And it it seemed what it... I know this is a crazy thing again, but to me, it made every wrestler look really tanned. Um, and it made all of the neon just really, particularly just blinding. And it made everyone's hair get dead humid and poofy during the matches as well. Really the sheer heat off it. Did you notice that? <laughs> Everyone looked permed as they finished the matches. Yeah, even Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe not old shower curtain heat. He didn't. <laughs> so um, the commentary team, Vince, obviously impressed by Monsoon. Sorry, uh, Jim Ross, Randy Savage, and Bobby Heenan is a three man team at WrestleMania Nine. So it brings them back for King of the Ring. So before, I was relieved to see that. Like, well, before we get into anything, what was your view on the commentary for King of the Ring '93? I quite enjoyed the commentary here. <laughs> it's probably at its funniest when it gets to the Hogan match because like JR just has to stop it from being like a hate Hogan fest because <laughs> Heenan's just like a oh, fucking hate Hulk Hogan and Savage is like, yep, he sure is a cunt, brother. <laughs> just like spent the whole time being like, he's a cheat and he's a shit and he doesn't deserve this title match. And I was just like, yeah, Savage, you're a face commentator. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you, but <laughs> like that, that was the only downside, I guess. Other than that, I enjoyed it. There was a few times Heenan actually, for all of his chuckle stuff, he came out with a few astute points, as he often does, because he does actually know wrestling really well. People yeah. kind of forget because of all the weasel clownery and buffoonery, but he's actually was an incredibly smart dude. Only downside is some of the racial jokes are canny dated. Like, Are there any in particular that come to mind? I didn't bank them <laughs> up, but there was a few times that I... Cr- I think some of the ones when he was wrestling to Tanker was to tank in a match. I think there was some pretty was unsavory native comments like, hey, how are you? And stuff like that. Uh, you'll probably like granddad jokes. <laughs> um, Got to say though, Bobby Heenan is very, he is good on this uh, as an analyst as well, which is a role that he never really uh, had a reason to use in WWF. He did in WCW, especially when they would do the replays and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, He really is trying on this event. If there was if there was any criticism of Bobby Heenan's, I don't know, lack of uh, passion in '93, it's certainly not at King of the Ring. Is that a criticism? Because he definitely seemed engaged and involved in this. Like in by '93, there was. I mean, it. it I, I never listened to critics again. Meltzer said that Monsoon was the worst commentator five years in a row, and I'm just like, no. Yeah, and then he gave it to Dusty every time, and I'm like, yeah, but he's so shit, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's just because you don't know every Japanese move under the sun. Uh, under I used the to put you, but you make us laugh and you make hillbilly noises. Like, that's good enough. <laughs> I, 
you so, know, uh, like you, you get a Mike Tanay or something, and that's brilliant. But you don't want all of them to be like that, or an Excalibur or something. You yeah. want some people who are just for the chuckles. Yeah, and WWF isn't that kind of presentation. Oh, what, yeah, certainly... they're definitely the silliest of all of the big companies. Certainly... I don't mean that as an insult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but Jim Ross, though, bringing him in was obviously a bit of a. I don't think Vince had listened probably to Jim Ross's work. He probably got recommended uh, by mm-hmm. people who came, maybe even the Steiner brothers, Luger, Flair, anyone who was mm-hmm. you know in WWF at that point when Jim Ross was ready to come in, and. Yeah. It's kind of weird, though, because if you watch the dark match for WrestleMania 9, which is on the network, you hear Jim Ross sort of like testing his mic out, calling the match, you know, just to give, I guess, Vince and Bruce Pritchard a feel of what he does. And uh, I wish you could hear Bruce in the microphone because you hear Jim Ross like call a move or something and then just silence for about 10 seconds. And he's like, yeah, I'll work on that, Bruce. (laughs) Can you imagine (laughs) Bruce Pritchard giving Jim Ross... I know Bruce Pritchard going, wait, you got that right. That sounded like sport. Stop making it so legitimate. Sell the magazine. Well, I've got to say, this event, this whole event feels like Vince McMahon is not backstage on the headset. Uh, he's, he's probably just banging his heat off a wall thinking, why did I hire Rob Bartlett? <laughs> so he just hasn't turned up for this pay-per-view. Uh, so if you want another example of how probably boiling it is in that arena, Savage is not wearing his hat and glasses. He's in a T-shirt. He's a weird, a... sparkly T-shirt, granted, but it's a T-shirt. Oh, I love it. If there was one piece of like, and it's not the most memorable Randy Savage bit of merch, but I love that attire. I think it's great. <laughs> I thought it was quite fun, Mike. This is when he's wearing like glitter all the time as well. And if he had a wrestling match, like the glitter would just go, fall all over the ring. And 90, after 93, he kind of went back to sequins again. Like you never really seen wear glitter in WCW on his ring gear or anything like that. I don't think you're allowed to wear glitter in the South. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Johnny B. Bad. I'm so pretty, I should be a girl. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a great start. Uh, and the music starts while you know uh, Savage and Heenan are arguing with each other and it's a really fast paced open as well they're not taking the time they're not and I don't mean that in a bad way they're just it's a sport it's a sports event that's uh, what it the, feels like the hype in you at the start the, you want that you know it's like get ready for the kickoff kind of thing you're getting pumped up that is what you want I've got to say WWF were much better at starting shows than WCW because the fireworks would go off and then it would cut to the commentators for literally about 10 minutes. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> like, why did you pyro and then talk? talk? Yeah, talk about the entire history of everything. And then people were ready. It's for the people in the arena, though, isn't it? Yeah. They're like blast music and they're like set pyro off and, you know, to keep like high T-shirts in the crowd kind of time. The pyro is not really for us at home is the only thing I'd say with those at the start of the event because they're not here in 10 minutes of like, Trevani and Heenan arguing yeah. <laughs> like we are. Or, or going to like backstage packages and stuff. This is what happened last week and stuff like that. I think it, it, yeah. to me, with the WWF shows, the fact that they're halfway for a sentence and some wrestler's music hits, it's like, oh, we've got no time. Let's get started. Ah, like that. Uh, Urgency. Yeah. And they do not, they haven't done that in decades. Like, you know, and I think that that is something that is sorely missing from these events. Um, because the shit that people are saying so scripted and produced, though, isn't it? Yeah. No, you can't true. really script stuff like that as well. I, f- I feel you can if you're just good, you know. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, it's. It, I don't think it takes that much for like someone's music to hit and go like, oh god, here we go. You know, like. But I mean, there's always such specific things that the commentators have to say now. Yeah. When you're like, when they're being so produced to the headset, and it's like, and the cue will be when you say this line, rather than it being like, you've got three minutes to talk, and then I'm hitting Razor's fucking music. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, we start off with Razor against Brett. Mm-hmm. Vastly, what a vast, great opener. Well, I was going to say vastly underrated match because of the other two matches uh, that Brett has on that night, and it's it's, it's probably my favorite match on the night, or at least my second favorite. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. If I think it was fantastic. Like the, it's kind of weird because Razor is really over as like he's a heel at Mania Nine, but people are cheering him. Where he's he is legit getting. It's a very old school crowd. They are legit booing him and doing the one two three and everything. Like the, that the was crowd, fun. The crowd were almost taking orders. I can guarantee that Savage is prompting the crowd off camera doing the one, two, three, or the before. He was shouting on his headset, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Or before the show, Savage maybe's on mic was like when Razor comes out. Yeah, you know, they've done that kind of thing before. Uh, and yeah, no, Razor started off hot with Brett. So yeah, what also your- Razor encourages those one, two, three chants with the proper pantomime no this is making me mad uh, by the way for if there's a, a lot of people who listen to us weren't even alive in 1993 do you want to explain the one two three count chant because otherwise people are going to wonder why counting makes scott all so mad <laughs> <laughs> well basically uh, may 17th 1993 one of the greatest roles ever um where sean lost the belt to marty and everything also razor lost to the one two three kid before one two three kid had a name uh, and then this was... It was a different thing every bloody week, wasn't he? He was like, the lightning kid, the kid, the ninja kid, <laughs> the squirrel kid. He's like, all sorts of... The lightning rodent. He was like, seemed to be somewhat different every week. So this this is literally during the time where Razor is trying to encourage one, or goad one, two, three kid back into a match uh, by bribing him, basically. So the rematch hasn't happened at this point. Um, but it's, it's just... This is what adds to the house show feel to me that you would think have Razor against the kid on pay-per-view, but they didn't. Like, you know, they made the tournament itself very important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of blow-off things that could have, like, Taker wasn't there to face Jan Gonzalez or whatever. They were really good at, like, holding things off. And uh, Razor against Brett. Uh, Brett automatically got into the King of the Ring because it the storyline was it should have, and they were probably planning at some point him against Hogan at King of the Ring. Um, but it because Brett didn't get the title shot, it was deemed he earned his slot in the King of the Ring tournament. Razor Ramon defeated El Matador in the qualifying match to get into the King of the Ring. Um, and yeah, no, great opener. So uh, it wasn't too fast-paced. It was, you know, it was very... So methodical. It was methodical and it made a lot of sense. Real raises you know, like when man. Brett targets his arm for yeah. ages, does a load of moves, and he's like the arm bar, arm drag, and he's like leg dropping on the arm. Like call is old fashioned, but I love seeing some actual wrestling in a wrestling match. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. And Razor, this was when Razor worked on Bret Hart's hand as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they played that up throughout the show as well. Uh but yeah, no, the, the crowd went into it and uh, it just, it was better than their Royal Rumble 93 match, um, which was also a very good match. I was going to say, I like that as well. Like It, it just shows you though, like sort of, when you do a show like this, you can afford to put your top name in the first match because it's a tournament. 
so like you know it it doesn't start off hotter than having Brett against Razor in the first match if this was any other pay-per-view it would be you know so, something pretty lame at the start I know I like I like to come out the the blocks running like mm-hmm. and I mean even you know you could have Razor in the first match but match but certainly not a former WWF champion in the first match so yeah it would just be someone who's probably going to get pounded off Razor wouldn't it yeah uh, so yeah no great match uh, so where do we move on to from there there was a few things and that I, I, I wanted to say about that match as well. Like I, I really liked that this had a decisive pin finish. Like Razor looked no weaker by being cleanly pinned. There was like no bullshit. There was no shenanigans. I've really liked the pay-per-view opening like that. Like, and I guess they're just doing it because you're losing in a tournament, but the, the whole idea of always protecting people and shenanigans, he finishes it can ruin it for an audience. But I think it's often more to placate wrestlers rather than thinking about what the audience actually thinks because the audience don't usually care if you lose. As long as it's not like stop, start, win a bit, lose a bit, they don't mind. Yeah. So I, I liked it being clean there. There were a few spots I really liked in it as well. There's um one thing is, you know when Brett gets whipped into the corner, there's a thing Brett always does where he goes chest first into the turnbuckle oh, yeah. and it looks so painful. And he goes down and it looks real. And I really like it because so often someone gets Irish whipped into the corner and they're like run over and then duck and hit it head first. He's like, why would you do that? Like yeah. if you, It's already weird enough that someone's forcing you to run and you're running against your own will. So don't like actively duck and batter your own heat as well. Just to like finish it off. So yeah, I really like that Brett does that chest spot and he did that quite a lot on this night. I thought there was a load of really good near falls as well. Sorry, were you going to say something about that? I was going to say one thing regarding that as well, and this has been a a general critique about all wrestling now, is that people don't Irish whip with, you know, with gusto. It's kind of like... So it looks even more holdy-handy run, yeah. A little bit, or or even worse, they'll just put the palm on the back of your head and kind of push you, and then all of a sudden you just say, whoa, I'm running to Oh, no, I can't stop running. (laughs) I don't know. yeah, so uh, continue, sorry. No, no, it's quite all right. Uh, there were a load of really effective, well, not a load. The near falls in this match were really effective. The the one that really the crowd bought was, you know, when uh, Razor goes to hit the Razor's edge and Brett escapes and does a small package. Like, the crowd really thought that was the end of that match. Like Yes. They, did. they, also, they did something well, which was done terribly at Halloween Havoc 98. So if you remember, there's like the roly-poly wrecking ball that Warrior tries to do on Hogan, where he's like rolling after him and like Hogan stumbles over him. And it's like the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen. But in this, they somehow did a similar spot where Razor like keeps trying to do an elbow drop and Bret Hart rolls out the way and Razor's getting angrier and angrier and being like, I keep elbowing the floor. (laughs) I just really liked that. I was like, who knew that spot could actually be effective if you're not just a total idiot? (laughs) One thing that benefits this match hugely is that they make a big deal that it's only a 15-minute time limit as well. And it makes sense that you would go for pins as quickly as possible because you know you've got, at the most, two more matches to go. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it like psychology. It just, it, I don't think any of the matches on this night in the tournament could really be faulted for psychology, no matter how you know whether it was Mr. Hughes or Duggan, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. all of all of the matches definitely made sense. And like you say, you know, uh, the finishes to the matches certainly were uh, satisfying, as you know, as you say, as they should be on a pay-per-view. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Oh, I wanted to know who is that referee in this match? Because he's one of the only people I've seen from back then who managed to have a mullet and still look square. Like, I, I, I mean, obviously square in the sense of like the old stoner way of saying it. I don't mean he had a Minecraft heed with a mullet on it, but like, who who was he? Because it looked like some kind of smart and sensible mullet. I was like, what what's going on here? Well, who was refing back then? Mike Kyoto was refing. It wasn't him. Has he even been in AEW since they hired him? I've, I've seen him do the odd match, but <laughs> I, I don't watch religiously enough to say, but I know that it annoys Jess because when he occasionally turns up, I'm like, holy shit, Mike, you orders at AEW? And she's like, I know you old bastard. <laughs> you just always forget. <laughs> um, so there was Jack, what colour was the mullet? Was it blonde? It was blondish, like so, slightly gingery blonde. Uh, probably Jack Don. Right. Um, who was there? I mean, I'm thinking of the refs who were there at that point. There was Jack Doan, Mike Yoda, Tim White, uh, Earl Hebner, it, it, and, Bill Alfon- none of them. and Bill Alfonso. Um, I'd recognize oh, all of them. Like. And Joey, Joey Morella as well, obviously. So, yeah, and probably. Still, it wasn't him, no. Probably, uh, probably Jack Doan, but I would, have to, I would have to watch back. Ah, cool. From there, we go to the Mr. Hughes and Mr. Perfect match. I found the video package kind of strange. Because, like, at first I was just like, okay, here's a video package where he's hitting The Undertaker with a golden vase. And he's distracted by a giant Argentinian dude in a fuzzy body stocking. And now he's going to wrestle Mr. Perfect. I was like, what what, what the fuck's any of this got to do with anything? That's what they, should, that... that's what they should have called him, fuzzy body stocking. <laughs> well, I can tell you why they showed the video. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, can give you, I can give you a legit reason why they showed the video. Go on then. Because Mr. Hughes has got no entrance theme. Really? So it would be a coming out silently so they just hide a video in. Yeah. And and to be honest, he probably and he didn't get announced until he was in the ring as well. So Uh, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um and that is the reason why those kind of things are done. Uh in WWF at least. And it didn't happen that often. You know, to cut to a, a video package during an entrance is very rare during that mm. time. Um, but I guess it puts Mr. Hughes over a bit and makes, because he's probably the dark horse in the tournament in terms of, you know, he's definitely not going to win. Um, so no, if you see him beating up Undertaker, then I guess... It legitimizes him somewhat. I think so. I think so. And, you know, one thing forgotten about him is how athletic of a big man he is as well. Oh, absolutely. And God bless him having to do all of that and like business casual dress. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't fancy that. There's been a Mr. Hughes, you know, either this year or last year. I, I saw him on a modern event. I, I, I want to say he was on one of the two talking shopper manias, like one of the main ones. And that was quite fun. But those were such a crazy mental soup. <laughs> it's, it's hard to remember what, what I even just imagined and what actually happened on telly. But yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mr. Hughes was in one of them. I, I believe he was. He's also DLC on the new Retro Mania game. Uh, I haven't got that for Mason yet. I mean, I've got him the game, but I haven't got him the DLC yet. What I, I love, what I love though, it's it's WWF Mister Hughes on the game, and he's even holding the urn because by that point you nick the urn. Ah, uh, is he the WWF one? I, th- I thought they would have gone with the, the NWA version of him. To be honest, I'm quite sure. I, I mean, I guess it's his most memorable look because, and I, I hate to be that person, but I think they're the le- most famous company, so therefore. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even a, a short time in WWF compared to a long time in WCW, unless you sting, uh, you're probably going to be more remembered by non wrestling fans, I guess, who watch it passing. Yeah. 
if you get mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, perfect against Hughes. Uh, I mean, perfect is over as, you know, as anything in 93. Um, it's, it's weird seeing him as a baby face, though. I'm, I'm kind of used to it, but only because I actually got into wrestling in 93. Yeah, that makes, at the time, what mm. what wrestling I was watching was just really the like staying invader type stuff. So I didn't see any of that then. So mm. in my time of watching stuff and then going backwards, I associate uh, perfect as a heel. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. But and what's great about him in '93 as a face is he changes nothing. <laughs> he's still yeah, exactly... he's still a bit of a dick and everything, isn't he? Still, I reckon. <laughs> I know that's it's one of the reasons it's weird to see him being a face. It's like I'm still a knob, but you'll just cheer now. So this match is relatively short match, and uh, Hughes, like you say, bless him, sweating like even more than usual under those lights, wearing sunglasses as well. Um, oh, poor, poor bastard. I mean, he, good that he had the sunglasses on. Like I needed someone. I was watching this. Tell you what, but like he was the best big man for taking an arm drag. I find, like he really knew how to like take moves for smaller people. Yeah, he did do that. I, had, I hadn't really noticed it, but now you mention it, yeah, he definitely does. He always in a, in that kind of boss man style way. He's that massive, but stuff looked smooth. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, yeah, like vastly overlooked as a, a good big man, I would say. No, oh, definitely. Though I did think this match was a little bit boring, but it's probably because it just followed Brett versus Razor. And I, I don't think they really managed to spice up something that was getting a bit boring by putting a talking head of the talented yet also sometimes boring Brett Hart talking about the match. I was like, mm. Do and you then think you got a DQ finish as well. I was like, mm. well, was that, that was a stumble. That was an interesting thing for me, though. Again, that I feel that that added to the sports feel of it. But do you feel that on a pay-per-view, you don't want to cut to someone else talking for a match that you've paid for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. That feels like TV stuff. I, I didn't really want to say that. And they do it a few times in the night. It's not a huge distraction. It's just a minor annoyance. Mm-hmm. My only real annoyance was this is the one where the psychology goes shit. So, like... He accidentally kicks the middle rope and then for some reason sells the bum cheek, <laughs> which I thought was kind of weird. It's just like, do the ropes kill your ass? But I would rather when he did that, that Hennig just took advantage and won. Like Mr. Hughes just blatantly in front of the referee hits him with the urn. Like it's so blatant. Yeah. And just like, why would you do that? Like that's where the psychology kind of falls on itself a little bit. It's a shame because they obviously building up I I mean I, the, whilst Mr. Hughes was still around they were building up Undertaker Jan Gonzalez at SummerSlam but I think they must have been planning Undertaker against Hughes at SummerSlam originally it was never mentioned but it makes sense because that kind of took over the that would Gonzalez. probably be a good match as well it would have and, and it kind of took over the Gonzalez feud at that point because uh, I'm guessing Gonzalez couldn't make every show and let's face it he's very limited in what he can do and it was Hughes who specifically you know uh, beat up Paul Bearer and knocked Undertaker out of WWF mm. but he was gone like about two months after King of the Ring and was he? Yeah he wasn't around long at all it, it, and they never mentioned his disappearance uh, like I say there was never a blow off it, it's kind of one of those weird I'm sure there's answers out there, but one of those weird sort of mysteries of 1993, why Mr. Hughes, in the middle of a hot feud, uh, disappeared. I, I yeah. understand why they did the DQ finish, but to a point, I wouldn't have maybe put him in the tournament at all. Like have yeah. someone who... You, you know, can have a DQ finish as well, just 
I really didn't like him being at the point where he's like, I might lose, so I might as well cheat in front of the referee and just lose. Yeah. Like that that's not very sporty, really, is it? No, it's not. And and um Mr. Hughes beat uh Kamala to uh get into the King of the Ring. And that made sense as a match because Harvey Whitman also managed Kamala before he turned face. He was with Gonzalez as well, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. The uh, Mr. Perfect, they knew what they were doing, Mr. Perfect. They knew how good he was, but they also knew how good Matt Bourne was as well because they had three qualifying matches. The first two were draws, and then they had the blow-off match, and then eventually won that. All three of those matches are great, and only one of them so far is on the network. Um, actually, no, I think both of them might be, two of them might be now because they've got the superstars from 93. So go out of your way to watch them if you've uh, if you've never seen them. Um and uh, yeah, no, Mr. Perfect, I, I would assume as well that people probably thought Mr. Hughes would win it because it's always heel versus face when the tournament advances sort of thing. So like he would be next to face Brett, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So they, they knew that they had to have really good matches at this show uh, and it, just good booking because I mean, if they'd a the general consensus is Randy Savage could have faced Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 4 in a rematch, but instead they had Steamboat lose clean to Valentine in the first round. And, you know, it added to a very already long pay-per-view by having Savage against Valentine in a very slow quarterfinal match. Uh, So, yeah, no, they knew what they were doing here. Like, great stuff having Mr. Perfect go through the second round. Oh, definitely. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting how many just tournament matches they did in a row as well. Because then next up you got Duggan and Bam Bam as well, and it was just like here's another tournament match, and that was a that was lively and crowd pleasing. Sorry, crowd piercing. That sounds scary. <laughs> crowd pleasing. Like I thought that kind of saved us a bit from where that DQ finish and all that had got a bit. Meh. But I didn't really understand why Bigelow's always such a punching bag. Like he is an absolute tank, and he he's always the one like doing the selling. Like someone should have showed to Vader the kind of presentation that Bam Bam was getting and being like, this is waiting for you. Prepare <laughs> to get, you are big and mobile. Prepare to get kicked shitless by people who aren't. If I had one criticism of Vader and Bam Bam, though, is that I think they wanted to sell for their opponent. because uh, one... God damn how, how much they were good wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> it really let them down. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But you had everything. Vader got slammed in every WWF match he was in. And leading up to SummerSlam, it, uh, sorry, just following SummerSlam 96, Vader was losing to Michaels in 30 seconds on dark matches. Um, Oof, just insanity. Vomit. But yeah, that was the thing about Bamba. And you see this later on, that he's he, wanting to have the best match that he possibly can. And if it, you kind of forget that Bam Bam's a big dude because they, they never play to the strength of him. Um, you know, unless he's in there with someone like one, two, three kid where he can just rag him about and stuff like that. Um, mm. Yeah. So the Bam Bam Duggan matches, I mean, it, 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 a very short match. I think it was probably the shortest match of the night. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. There's not a lot to say about it really. It just, it was lively. It picked the crowd back up. And Bam Bam won, which was which was good. I was pleased to see Bam Bam win. Other than that, bye. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so not everything. That's some something that people could learn in modern day is not everything needs to be a fucking half an hour classic. That's true. It that's wouldn't true. have helped the show to have a, a like half an hour <laughs> Jim Duggan and Bam Bam Bigelow match there. No, and and the thing is though, it, there were. Duggan was probably a serious contender to win it as well because he was in the feud with Yokozuna at that point. 
Um, mm. it, it could have very feasibly been Duggan and Yoko at SummerSlam, but they you know, blew that off beforehand. And for what it's worth, I mean, Duggan in 93, he had the single, the USA single. It was shite, but it got to, <laughs> you know, but the, haven't the you fact, got that? I've got it on four different formats. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no, but it, uh, they were putting time and effort into Duggan, though. And but no, I, I guess, do like Duggan, I like Duggan. But he's also, he's almost always guaranteed to be the first eliminated on a Survivor Series match or the first to lose in a tournament and stuff like that. Because um, he was just a lovable goon by then, though, wasn't he? He wasn't like territories Duggan. Oh, he God. Was, no. He was tongue out, thumb up. Where's me pet plank? <laughs> Duggan, wasn't he? <laughs> well, he wasn't even like 87, 88 Duggan by this point. He was, yeah. uh, that's the thing he said that by, oh God, like by 89, he had all the gimmicks and he pointed them out. He was like the tongue, the thumb, the crown, the cape, the board, the flag, and something else. <laughs> and the eyes. <laughs> oh, I, the bong eye. <laughs> so he was, he was like kind of DDP in WCW with all the gimmicks <laughs> on his like, entrance. The box of gimmicks exploded on DDP. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like reach into the chest and pick a gimmick and DDP fell in it. <laughs> so, like, well. um, <laughs> so we uh, go to the, the next match, which is the last of the first round. And just before that, though, there was a there was a little video package. But it was interesting for me that Terry Taylor seemed to still be dressed up as the tailor-made man instead of being a chicken. <laughs> while he was interviewing the smoking guns who kind of looked like they were the young pistols two dads at this point like that's yeah. <laughs> not the same look that they have later but yeah there was just a lot of strange to look at there seeing terry taylor in the tuxedo seeing the steiners in the varsity gear at wwf and all that it was all just a bit of a, a, a i don't know it just weirded me out that that is interesting because i always assumed that that was a coliseum video exclusive but they actually must have shown that on the on the live pay-per-view as well because i wasn't going to say it's a coliseum exclusive when they're doing it but i was like i'm watching it on the network so i didn't think it is uh, no it, it i mean it was back then then so the it just shows you though how inconsistent they are with what they decide to upload on don't get me wrong i'm always up for having the coliseum video extras on there oh but, i may too um but also don't edit the pay-per-view which they i don't think they really do on this um so yeah no that's interesting that that's on there yeah terry taylor was still wrestling in wwf late 92 to mid 93 but he was also commentating hosting the canadian show and uh doing backstage interviews it was a very weird gig that he had mm. um and it wasn't like you, you know, he was brought back to WF, but it wasn't like it was to do much in 93. And he was like gone by the end of 93 as well, during one of his <laughs> many back and forths at that point. Um, but it's, it's interesting though that Terry Taylor's there, but Todd Pettingill isn't there. Or you don't have Gene mm. Oakland doing the that, that particular interview or whatever. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm surprised that that's. You, on- you had me scratching my head when you mentioned Gene at the start. I was like, was Gene on this show? But it must have just been that 15 minute thing. No, no, Gene's, Gene's definitely on the show. Um, really? Yeah, because he does the coronation. Oh, hell I, of course. Yeah. Um, so we go to the fourth uh, and final first round match with Tatanka against Lex Luger. And Tatanka has the uh, dubious privilege that if you don't count the smoke and guns having just appeared in that Coliseum exclusive, Tatanka is the first person I saw on this show. I think you hadn't been at WCW at one time or another. <laughs> Luger, Duggan, Bam Bam, uh, Hughes, Perfect, uh, Ramon, Hart, and then uh, the commentary team at the start, all of them had been on there. So yeah, Tatanka was the first person I saw. I was like, hey, you don't even end up in WCW. You'd already had 
tailor-made man. Okay, it, I, I guess I'm clutching at straws if I say that the Young Pistols two dads. <laughs> and then, of course, the Steiners are WCW stalwarts. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting. And the, the concept... Of no wonder this, the matches are so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the concept of this match is interesting as well because both Tatanka and Luger were undefeated. So, it you know, someone had to win, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought Luger really suits this presentation. I, I wish they'd made more effort when they turned him face, like, from this narcissist. It's not that I disliked the face character. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think they did enough to, like, set up that turn. Like just having some Polynesian lad dressed up like he's Japanese <laughs> and slamming him on a boat isn't enough for me to turn somebody face. No, I, I agree. It very much came out of nowhere. And Luger, I mean, this was another one that got criticised a lot, but like I think he played that narcissist gimmick to perfection because, as, me too. as Percy Pringle said, it was basically a shoot with him. He was just looking in mirrors all the time and full of himself. Union said that too. But wouldn't you be if you had a body like Luger's? Like, it's one of the greatest physiques you've ever seen in wrestling. The kind of steroid MacGyver hair does, upsets the presentation a little bit, but... <laughs> Also, he definitely got the fruiest at the end of this match. I don't know if like it's to do with the condition of Flexi Lexi's hair or if Tatanka is just a particularly moist and humid person to be slamming about. <laughs> like Luger's hair is obscene by the end of this match. Um, so by this point, so Luger gets in the ring, starts posing, Tatanka's in the ring. Um, and oh no, I don't think Tatanka's out there yet, but the the they'd cottoned on to the fact that he had a steel pl- uh, thing in his forearm, steel rod. Um, so they made him wear the, the forearm pad. Otherwise, he'd which, be disqualified. Which I got, but wouldn't it have been the most hilarious reason to be disqualified? I'm taking <laughs> it that that injury occurred after he'd left WCW because yeah, he it, never had a steel arm when he was in WCW. But I just love the when crowd, when uh, when Howard Finkel tells the crowd, like, and he, if he does not put on an elbow pad, he will be disqualified. Like, can you imagine the most anticlimactic finish ever? Like, wait a minute, you're DQ'd because you don't have sweatpants. <laughs> and I don't think it's, I'm, I think they were relying on the audience knowing about his injury. So I'm guessing they did, uh, or most of them did. <laughs> well, they, they didn't. I mean, the commentators were great at talking about it, but they didn't. Um, didn't uh, or Howard Finkel didn't make it clear to the uh, to the audience at that point. But uh, Luger was great at selling that as well. And then to tank uh, uh, <laughs> this nearly blinds me. To tank uh, tips the mirror on Luger, and then Luger's oil is all over that mirror, and then it shines off them lights right into your eye. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking when he came in, I was like, oh, this is good and hot. And he flips the looking glass on my eyes and just like trickling down my cheeks. Yeah, turned into Terry Funk. My eye. I <laughs> definitely. So, yeah, it's in- sorry, go on. No, 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 go for it. It's interesting that you mentioned to me people were dissing Luger at the time for that presentation and that because as a heel, he sells in a very flair esque way in this match. And like, I really like that. You know, like when Tatanka puts a wrist lock on and starts punching him in the shoulder. The way Luger's selling that, it's like he has learned from his time with the Horseman for definite. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I think it's just because Luger was so credible as a heel in WCW and he was so over as a face. I think, I mean, he was WWF eyesed, I guess, with the gimmick and stuff. But I mean, he could Mm -hmm. have had a far worse gimmick than the narcissist. 
I thought the narcissist gimmick still felt like something you could have seen on WCW when I was little. Like mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been out of place and in the, the herd era for certainly. We knew how to play the character. It's one of those things where I mean it's the Bruce Pritchard thing, and I kind of agree with it to a point where if a wrestler can't pull off a gimmick, it's because they it's wrong. Don't, they don't know how to. I mean, yeah, they won't like take the blame for giving them a shag gimmick. But like the Red Rooster thing, he's like he's meant to be cocky and he's meant to strut around, and it's just like no, you made him a fucking chicken, mate. Um, yeah, there's there is no salvage in that, and that like, you can be like, oh, it's because he's meant to be cocky and confident. You can make a character cocky without putting a fucking fin on the head and telling you they're a chicken. <laughs> like they're in the wrong trousers or something. It's just terrible. Yeah. So, um, also this was the one where Heenan was. Definitely at his most racist. There's a few times Savage jumps in to save the day and the granddad jokes. Like when he's talking about how Bam Bam's granddad had been an epic scalper in the Apache Wars or some shit like that. When he's talking about Tatanka and Bam Bam being a bounty hunter and Savage is just jumping in like, no. <laughs> like JR's trying to give good background on Tatanka's heritage and they're both just proper trying to reel him in. Like if Out's going to get chopped up by Peacock, it'll be this one. Quite possibly. Well, the... um. This is in the middle of the Bam Bam to Tank a feud as well, and they don't really uh, capitalize on this pay per view, which is why again it feels very house show esque to me. Mm, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. There's a lot. I didn't of... really know they were feuding at the time. Oh yeah, no. That, well, that's when Bam Bam literally cut to Tank's hair off. That's why they make the scalping reference. Is it? I just assumed it was because Heenan loves a granddad joke. <laughs> well, but Bam Bam was bringing a bag to the ring with Tatanka's hair in it and a, a small pair of scissors and everything, but they didn't do it on that. They didn't do <laughs> Did it on that night. No, no. Well, at least I've got some context for that then. Well, if nothing else, I'm here to provide context. <laughs> I thought the crowd fade in that one a bit when Luger takes <sighs> control. It's, it's not 15... even like the, it's, well... the match isn't bad at all. It also, like, 15 minutes isn't long. Like it maybe it's long in WWF, but like to me, watching a fifteen minute match isn't out. No, it's it's not. But I think once the match gets to say the ten minute mark and they're still in rest hold, you know that you know they're getting a fucking draw. (laughs) Especially if you're a WCW fan, it's like stop me if you've heard this one before. (laughs) Yeah, if if you want to see the longest fifteen minute match I think I've ever seen, Jake and Rude at WrestleMania four. Oh, and especially on paper, should be a dream. Yeah. It's in front of a dead crowd, and Rude's got a chin lock on him for literally about six minutes. And you know, it's it's so long. It really is. Oh, it feels so long. Um, so the one thing the announcer didn't do because the 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 commentators were really good at saying, "Oh, it's thirty seconds left" and stuff like that. But the WWF never really acknowledged time passing by like WCW did. Yeah. And I think that that would have really... I used to hear in Gary Capetta's voice during matches mm. telling us how long was left, even if the time limit draw was, like, irrelevant. You know what I mean? It would have really heated the crowd up to the end. I mean, they were kind of... They were into it, but I think if you just had the countdown and everything, it would have just been that little bit extra that I think the match could have needed. What um, they did that was really smart, though, is the crowd starts shitting on that when the time limit draw comes in, is that Luger just grabs the mic... Cuts a heel promo and then takes off the sweatband and uses the <laughs> dreaded forearm. So he kind of like harnesses the booze in a heat direction rather than a bullshit direction. So I thought that was smart. I would say it was smart if they were going to use him throughout the night. <laughs> kind of like... uh, fair enough. I, I meant I just thought that was like a smart recovery. 
Mm, okay. I, I, I get yeah. why they did the draw because they don't want to beat Tatanka. He's on an unbeaten streak or something like that. And they've only just got Luger and he looks like someone they should be able to make into Hogan, but don't manage. And like, I, so I did understand that, but I thought Luger was quite smart in grabbing the mic and being like, whoop, let's quickly turn these boos onto me and not the show. No, I thought that was done quite smartly. Mm, I, f- I think it's always probably just for time limit reasons as well that you're guaranteed to have a buy somewhere mm. in the tournament. Just and, so there's and, not another match. Hi. So there's not another match. And because it, I, as well, it'll usually give, the, you never see a face get a buy. Uh, and it gives the heel more heat as well because he's, and it makes he's the fresh. Face, yeah, it makes the face more of an underdog and everything as well. And uh, it was it was a smart way. If you're going to put two people in the ring, I mean, they had Marty Jannetty. I'm really surprised that he wasn't on the show. Um, you don't know what's going on with him backstage at the time, though, to be fair. That's true. But I've, no, I mean, okay, no, that's true. You, you just lost the Intercontinental belt after like a month, and I'm guessing there is a reason behind that. Exactly, um, like why you would hold that for longer than that. The, especially back then, that's when you're being groomed, like, can you make it in the world title picture? No, drop that belt after a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that is one thing about these pay-per-views that makes them distinctive from each other is that they didn't feel the need to include every single person in, in these events. Um, so yeah, well, they do later on t- t- in this event. Well, yeah, I mean, the eight-man tag was probably not needed, to be fair. It was um, definitely not needed, that. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, where, where do we go from uh, the first Oh, round? you're right about Mean Gene, you know. Because mm-hmm. after this match, that's where Mean Gene goes and he proper stirs the shit between... And they said Mr. Hart and Brett Perfect. He proper stirs the shit between Brett Hart and Mr. Perfect. And he like they're, they're like trying to be respectful and Gene is just determined to make them have a Barney. And he's just yeah. like getting in, insulting their dads and that in the end. Pretty sure Brett's rewriting history, you know, when he's saying, uh, oh, um, my dad beat your dad. Because Larry, Larry Hennig, I'm sure he was barely in Stampede. I'm sure he did like an appearance for a week or two or something like that. I was going to say, doubt that he ever wrestled Stu while he was there. I was going to say Larry Hennig's old, but he's not Stu Hart old. Like Stu Hart's <laughs> no, Methuselah old, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I see because Brett was like, "Oh, I'd rather face Mr. Perfect for the stamina, and I think it'd be a good wrestling match." And he's like, "Do you, do you think? Say, do you think he's easier to beat than <laughs> Mr. Hughes?" And he's like, "No, no, that's not what I think at all." And he's like, "Mr. Perfect, what do you think about Brett Hart saying you're the easy match?" And he's like, "You fucking what?" <laughs> he's just it's, it's some masterful shit stirring. You think Gene was heel? They should have got Bobby to do that, really. But the thing is, though, once they start like pushing each other or whatever, Gene's like, and he's like, "Oh, gentlemen, cut it out now." <laughs> Is it you fucking made that happen? So shut up and watch it. <laughs> so did we go straight from the last match in the first round straight to the semi-finals? Uh, aye, you get you get that wow. little promo there, and then wow. it's perfect versus hot. Now wow. that match is worth the price of admission. Like mm-hmm. it's so jam-packed with great sequences and great holds. Like I really enjoyed that the first time around. And that, that was one of the standout things that I remembered about this event. So I was thinking, oh, God, I hope this stands up. And it, it really did. It's got the pace and the excitement of modern wrestling with loads of great old school moves and with strong sound logic. It's just a shame, really, that there wasn't a way of making that the final because so, that was just a majestic. It, yeah, it really was. Don't they uh, do the, the old Dynamite Kid spot where Brett goes for the suplex and then Perfect reverses it and they both suplex each other outside the ring? Over the top outside. Yeah. You and your heart and your mouth. Yeah. And that, Brett... That... Sorry, go for it. No, no, go on. I was just going to foam on about being terrified that someone was going to die. When <laughs> over the top of that. I mean, oh God, I mean, it, it's a proper... It feels... 
very Stampede-esque. I mean, unlike the SummerSlam 91 match, mainly because Perfect is wrestling more like a heel, these are both wrestling like competitive faces. And I've, it's very rare to me that you don't necessarily see the crowd take a side um, yeah. on a face versus face match because somewhere, somewhere, someone has to act like the heel. And I guess Perfect is technically more heelish just because of the soul behind Brett. But mm. uh, I mean, it, it was this match where Brett gets knocked off the apron as well into the boxes. Yeah, it was. Oh, that looked unplanned as hell. Um, yeah, it looked scary, didn't it? That looked so. I mean, that to me looked. Do you know when you like stand on Lego? That was like <laughs> the equivalent of that to me, just landing in a friggin' plastic box. Like, you know, it's even worse than stand on Lego. And I can tell you this as a parent. <laughs> if, if wrestling world, if you're listening, your Lego death matches will go away once you've experienced this pain. <laughs> Thomas and Friends minis, they are miniature trains that feel like Lego. And when you stand on them, they're on fucking wheels. So they just kind of dig into your foot. And it's like, if you imagine really painful Lego that roller skates along with you and doesn't come off, like book a Thomas and Friends mini death match. <laughs> sacks and sacks of them. That shit hurts. There you go. Take note. Um, <laughs> so this match, uh, I believe, was the longest match of the night. Uh, yeah, and it also, the, it goes over the 15 minute time limit. Well, yeah, it was the the second round was half an hour. Um, oh, well, well, I'll just wind me neck in then because I didn't notice them mention that. And I was like, you've made such a funny on about the other matches being 15 minutes. And I swear we're up to about 20 minutes here. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, even with the other two Brett matches, I think this one certainly match of the night. Um, There's so many little bits, you know, like when Perfect slapping his knee to get feeling back into it yeah. after he's done the sleeper hold and then he reapplies it. Little bits like that. I'm like, yes, this feels really real. He continues the hand attack. Mr. Perfect goes a lot further into like stamping on Bret Hart's fingers and stuff like that, mm. which is like building on what would happen to him in his other match. Oh, there's just so much I could rant and rave about this match for ages. Like, one of my pet hates is people kicking out of each other's finishes, but then, like, he goes for the perfect plex and the crowd pop, and Bret Hart blocks it. That's when they do that terrifying suplex over the top. And I'm like, yes, man, that's the way. That's the way to do it. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. It doesn't harm the perfect plex because he hasn't applied it because he hasn't took it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, again, everyone, if you don't even watch the rest of the event, you should uh, definitely watch that Brett versus Mr. Perfect match. Oh, um, definitely. If you're one of those people who thinks WWF back then was always just like giant dolts stumbling about as well, like you'll be pleasantly surprised by this stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the Japanese finish with a handshake as well. Yes. It, 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 begrudging it, and everything. It's just, it's perfect. No pun intended. Yeah. And, and the, like perfect always has the, the, presence of someone who could turn heel at any moment. <laughs> it feels like he's going over the handshake and then he's like, ah, fuck you. And just shakes his hand and leaves. Yeah. I thought that's better that. Like be like, yeah, yeah, well done. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. That Mr. Better. Mr. Perfect's full frizz at this point. No, oh, I he he's <laughs> feeling the humidity there. Like Bret Hart seemed to be making the small package is like his finisher as well. <laughs> it's the second second match on this night in a row. He's won with the small package. That is true, and and the um. What would you have named it if that was going to become Brett's new finisher? What the small package? Oh, go on, and what you what you got? Go on. No, I want to know. What it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I I wouldn't be able to come up with anything funny enough. Uh the, the closest that probably gets a heart on. <laughs> uh 
this, this, speaking you're of giving speaking heathen penises, the rough money with dad joke. Now, right, now, now that we've got penisy, <laughs> the cat's out the bag. Um, there's the only one bit in this match that stops it getting perfect mm-hmm. is Hennig gets thrown by his heat and it somehow makes him roll and turn around on the floor and then slide backwards and then go dick first into the post. And you're like, there is a lot of stuff went into that. Like, <laughs> like he, Bret Hart would have to have you like possessed and be using some kind or telekinesis or something to be spinning you around and turn you and then slide you along the floor and wham your dick into the post. Like that was a bit silly. He was, uh, th- this is part of the reason why I think if there was a heel in the match, it was perfect because he used to take the more ridiculous bumps as a heel, including Aye. that one. Like if he took it well, he would go balls first. If he missed it, he would go leg first and then sort of hang out the ring. But he would sell it like a heel as well with the more ridiculous facial expressions, which he doesn't mm-hmm. do. At, at King of the Ring because he's a as a he's a face and it's quite a serious match even with that kind of silly like slightly silliness. I mean, the, how do you realize you can do something like that? Like what like what dream do you have <laughs> to realize? Like sort of when he took that bump off the he doesn't do it on this match. I don't think where he, where he gets battered in the turnbuckle and then jumps on the first turnbuckle and does a spin. Um, he, he does a smaller version of it. Right. But not, you know, like when he's going like a few off the top, a few off the middle, a few off the bottom, up and jump. But I'm pretty sure there was the one where he gets like whammed in the corner and, and bounces away. But it's just not as over the top and silly as when he was a heel. Mm. And and again, though, the, the commentators do a really good job on this. Um, yeah, they do. The the It's a long match, but it's, I mean, Jim Ross is finally like, oh, fuck me, a wrestling match finally. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's been there for like four months. And this, I would say by far would have been his favourite match that he had called to that point. I wouldn't blame him if it was. This match felt like everything that's good about that 93, 94 kind of time. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, the the best King of the Ring tournament match that there's ever been. Yeah, that's um, fair. You Is know, it I've, match of the year for 93 in WWF? Is there anything better than that? Well, uh, for what it's worth, I think PWI, uh, it was either PWI or Meltzer, uh, they voted Sean and Marty on Raw as match of the year. And I can understand why. Uh, where, Marty Fair wins, enough. where Marty wins the Intercontinental belt. Uh, but I've seen that one as well. That is a really good match. Brett and Perfect would have to be in contendership. And you would think that they would just do it on the house shows like everywhere. That's, <laughs> that's what they did in 89 and 90. And Brett said that one, his favorite match against perfect was in Alaska and they never recorded it. Uh, but no. there's, there's various like sort of, you know, Boston garden, etc. shows, and you'll never find a bad Bret Hart against Mr. Perfect match. I mean, did they have many in WC do it? They must have. Not as a like big marquee event. Uh-huh. The problem is Brett ends up in the NWO quite quickly. And he's on the Hollywood side, and and Mr. Perfect was in there. So, like, initially, no, I don't think so. No, that's a shame. But then again, I can't remember. So much used to happen with Night Rose in that period when Hennig came in, and you would get so many, like, pay-per-view level matches on a random Monday night that it's it's, it's hard to remember. Hmm. I'm guessing they included this on uh, this live version as well, even though it was a Coliseum video thing. You had Terry Taylor catch up with Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect isn't having any of it, and he just kind of walks off, and he's really disgusted with himself. That he I lost. can't remember that. Well, that might not be on. It, I I would guess it was on there, but it was such a small thing um, mm. that. But yeah, Terry Taylor was doing the the Coliseum video exclusives at that point. So we move on uh, to I everything believe... that's bad about that era. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe it's the world title match. 
It is weird that the world title matches before the intercontinental title match. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that Hogan wanted to get home early. <laughs> but oh man, this just well, you know, you know, you're in for something right from the get go because they do that like backstage bit and it just zooms in on Jimmy Hart's back while he's like rocking backwards and forwards, looking like he's trying to have a piss. And you can hear the disembodied <laughs> sound of me and Gene's voice. And you just think, oh, no, what am I getting here? You look at Hogan and he somehow looks older than he's ever looked in 1993. I don't he's know That's why. Coming off the roids, part of it is it ages the shit out of you because you don't have the testosterone making you look younger. Mm-hmm. And even this, like, I like that in 92, 93 kind of time when he's got that bandana with like Hulkamania written all over it, like the red one. Yeah. And this, he just has like a shitty red T-shirt on his head instead of a bandana. You're like, mm. I think there was a reference. Well, so before that, and I, I believe this is a Coliseum video exclusive as well. You'll enjoy this. That it's Yokozuna backstage with Mr. Fuji. And it's a close-up of like a Sony tape recorder because it's Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> and it's playing just some general Japanese ambient music to relax Yokozuna before the, the match. They do something like that after the match that is, oh, on, is it, on the pay-per-view version. <laughs> So they're like celebrating where they've got a tape player playing like generic Japanese oh, well, restaurant music. It might have been after that. Um, with so- the photographers. And like Yoko's like, yes, I am the man. <laughs> so the uh, the Jimmy Hart, uh, it's kind of weird because, and we'll get into this more, but it's such a cross section of WWF like eras for me because it's the end of like, you've got all these new great wrestlers, young wrestlers, and then you've got like, He's established and he's a huge name and everything, but he really stands out like a sore thumb on this event. Um, Hogan. Does Hogan, yeah. It feels so anachronistic on this. It's mm. unreal. It's but, like when you look at some of that, you know, when we were watching 94 and 95 WCWs recently and we're like, oh, yeah, Pillman, oh, Br- Flying Brian. Oh, Hogan. <laughs> it kind of feels like that. Well, there was a reference because you talk about the the red uh, and the plain red bandana, and he goes back to the red Hulkamania shirt. There's a reference somewhere I can't remember where, but it's a reference to him first winning the belt because he wore a red Hulkamania shirt with oh, like a right. plain bandana. Okay. So there is like kind of a bit of continuity in there that it, like maybe it was a subtle hint to say this is my last run. Or it's very subtle, like, because I didn't get it. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. So the, the close-up on Jimmy Hart's jacket, which had Hogan's face on it, and uh, <laughs> for ages, and I guess we ages. were meant to, we were meant to think that that was Hogan's real face, I guess. I don't know. Um, but the airbrushed jacket face looked better than Hogan's real face at that point. <laughs> Did you notice Jimmy Hart, like, writes his WCW theme during his promo? Like gonna... most of the words he says are the stuff from American Made. I can't remember them now, but you know, and he's like, he's government inspected, he's US grade. If you mess with the flag, it's like a slap in his face. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, look, he kept saying stuff. And I was like, I know this. Yeah, he's, oh, I shouldn't know this. He's got the red, white, and blue running through his veins. He was born and raised in the US of A. Terrible rhyme. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Hogan does his, uh, Jimmy Hart does a promo first, and this is great because it's one of the last times in WWF really you get to hear Jimmy Hart do it because he didn't often as a face. Like once you become a face manager, you have no you role don't need to Jimmy play. Hart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, so he gets his moment to shine, and then Hogan, who had learned Yokozuna's name by this point, because on every promo that he did on the set of Thunder in Paradise, he was like Yakazuma, Yokozuna, like you know what I mean, just like any other. Monty Zoomers. Yeah, or as you know, as he said on WrestleMania Nine, that Jap. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I just random racism there. Yeah, 
the fat drop or some of that. You're like, oh, don't, don't yeah. like that. Especially since he doesn't even look remotely Japanese. That's true. So yeah, Hogan, he's it is kind. Of, it really is Hogan's last stand. I mean, he gives a great Hogan style promo where he's going to body slam Yokozuna through the ring, and it's going to cause ripples throughout the you know uh, the universe or the stratosphere or whatever it is. <laughs> Something um, very very eighties. Yeah, uh, but the, the, they do a good job of because uh, they cut to Jim Ross, Bobby Heenan, and Randy Savage to kind of uh, build up the title match, and then. The you know they the do a good job of like doing a bit of uh, hype for it as well, and uh, Savage is like well in Hogan's corner on this pre bit, but then during the match, like not say, in the match, because <laughs> yeah, he says, "Oh, Brett should have had the the title match," um, and maybe that Savage trying to not that he needed to, but kind of like making himself credible by definitely siding with the person that was going to win everything that night instead of the person <laughs> who lost the title. Um, if you notice Hogan's biggest fans at ringside, who was there as some as Survivor Series 91. Oh, he looks like the hookster, that guy. I've seen him. Yeah. The guy it. in fancy dresses. I mean, at first I thought it was just Hogan sitting at the front while he's off the gear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I saw a guy dressed up as Hulk Hogan, but he's like sat very seriously in the front row. I'm like, mate, you can't fucking dress like that and then like take yourself seriously. <laughs> The only two times he was front row for a pay-per-view were the both times Hogan lost the title on pay-per-view. So <laughs> Amazing. <thank> <laughs> um, but the, I've got to say, the, the match is very good because it plays to Hogan's strengths and it acknowledges that he had lost the weight. Yes, he was off the roids, but it like... I was going to say that. That was something Heenan did brilliantly, that. That's in that hype bit at the start because that really stood out in my mind. He's like... He doesn't say like that Hogan's smaller. He says like Hogan's lost weight. He's slimmed down. He's been working on his speed and endurance. So he's not as big as he used to be. And I was like, that's some good stuff that. Yeah. But you said that's going to go in the favor of Yokozuna, who you would say normally, you know, the longer the match goes, it's going to favor the smaller dude. But if Yoko gets his hands on you as he did, as he does and puts him in the bear hug, you're getting pummeled, um, hi. Yeah, and and I've got to say, Hogan actually, I mean, bar the end, did generally a good job of making Yokozuna look like a legitimate threat. Um, he did. This is another one of those examples of where a finish ruins a match. Oh, because God. yeah, I, I had in my head this match is fucking bullshit, and I'd only watched the pay per view once years ago. Mm. And I watched it. I was like, you know what? Actually, it's really dated, but it's not actually bad. The crowd are into it. It's not long. You know, you, you get to see Yoko power out of being leg dropped. That's a sight. Like, I can't think of anyone that I'd seen power out of the leg drop. I can't even think of people kicking out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was shocking. What is crazy about this event, though, is that, like, Hogan, I don't think, even gets referenced after the title match. Like, it was... I'm not surprised after how shite the finish is, though. Well, yeah, but, I mean... If, if you're a commentator, would you want to talk about that? Like some guy jumps on the apron, dressed up like Cheech and Chong's long lost cousin, <laughs> and then his camera shoots fire in Hogan's face. So Hogan loses. Well, you, like, know who, you, know, you know who that was, don't you? Was it Harvey Whippleman or Jim Cornette or something? It, it like was, that? yeah, it was Harvey Whippleman. And the thing is, back in the day when I was much younger, I just assumed before I'd seen Cornette's debut, because he hadn't debuted by this point, that that was Cornette and that that's how he would get like expert. That's how they should have done he's it. He's in really. such a disguise yeah. that it would have worked. Like that disguise is worse than, you know, when Sherry 
attacked Hogan dressed as a man at centre stage, or <laughs> when Flair was it at a slamboree when he jumped the rail and dressed as a woman in a dress with makeup on and that? Like, yeah, th- this was as bad of one of those costumes as that. Like, you've never seen or when you're half asleep, nothing more terrifying than that Flair promo after he did. He still got the eyeliner. Still got the eyeliner on, <laughs> and he's obviously coked up, and he's just shouting at the camera, and you're just half asleep, and you look, and he's staring right at you, and you're like, "Oh fuck now!" I knew exactly <laughs> what you meant. He's staring through your fucking soul with all that makeup still on. <laughs> it's terrifying that. Like, Don't you think I'm pretty? I'd <sighs> fuck me. <laughs> um, so the, the thing is, like, so Yoko, um, he doesn't win clean. By any means, this is and- the least clean one ever. <laughs> and it's not—it's it, not dirty. It's pooey. <laughs> this is a bad, bad, bad ending. WWF had never done uh, the, the fireball, um, and this saw so Memphis. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's an idea they got from Memphis, obviously, but they took it too far. It couldn't have just been Fuji throwing it or Yoko throwing it or something like that. If it they threw to... a fireball at Hogan and it worked, I would have still thought it was lame, but I would have bought it. Mm-hmm. it like had... the, f- the flamethrower Fuji film, just absolutely terrible. Inexplicable exploding camera. <laughs> but the thing is, even if you... <laughs> Sounds can't... like a Batman thing. Inexplicable <laughs> exploding camera. Repellent well, if... spray. Even if your camera explodes, loads of fire doesn't randomly come out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, what is in that camera? <laughs> It's gunpowder. Just there's nothing like it to explode in the camera. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, it. I felt bad for the commentators to have to try and. I mean, Put the shot shit over the shot. The post match goes on fucking forever as well. It does, and I know that that's Hogan. You must kill Hogan properly if you're going to get rid of him. But I think that that hopefully made people forget about the fire in the face. <laughs> <laughs> one point, you know, why he couldn't have just done the bonsai drops beforehand to win the belt, but uh, that would have been much better. But I suspect that that didn't work for me, brother. Uh, yeah, and and so Hogan, I mean, that certainly wasn't his last match in WWF. They ended up booking the European tour around Hogan, no, no matter what Bruce Pritchard says, and I, you know, because he's bullshitting here, it wasn't to advertise Hogan's farewell. No one knew that Hogan was leaving at this point. Um, Hogan actually in the UK only does a TV appearance on WWF television to promote the tour, and he says he's going to become a six-time champion. Which uh, he wins all. Doesn't sound like you're going, does it? It Doesn't sound like you're leaving. No, he wins all the matches by DQ, and on that tour. If it was not on that tour, it might have been somewhere in America. There were actually there's a picture of him and Jan Gonzalez in the ring. They would never have done the match because it would have been awful. But it was just the visual of it. Jesus um, Christ, can you imagine Gonzalez Hogan? Oh, that yeah. that would have pipped Hogan Warrior at 98. Like, <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah, well, I, again, I think they were smart not to not to go in that direction. But um, I don't even know if they even tangled up or anything like that. But uh, there's definitely a picture of them in the ring together. Uh, but so yeah, Yoko. Is it immediately after that? Because they cut to the commentators. And they're discussing the controversy of the match. And After then I f- this, you get the tape bit that you were talking about, or at least that was on the version I watched. Yeah. Um, and it, it they do a good job of making the idea of Yokozuna winning the belt a big deal because they bring, like you say, bring in all the photographers. Uh, two of them are from, uh, do you know the WrestleMania 9 photographers? Yokozuna number one. Oh, right. Yeah, no, two, two of them are legit them because they are actual WF photographers, or at least wrestling photographers. Um, oh, that's cool. So they, they did a great job. Of, and they had Jack Tunney 
giving them the belt and presenting them and stuff like that was that was a pretty big deal. And then Fuji drops the hints that they're going to celebrate somehow. And then the you know that obviously ends up being the body sam challenge on the USS mm-hmm. Intrepid. Uh, but is it? I think it's after that they cut to the Shawn Michaels interview with Gene Oakland. Oh, I can't remember. Um, well, th- this to me is possibly one of the more important bits of 1993 for oh, me. Sorry, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, no, it's it's a very understated thing because the they go from Hogan and then or go from Yokozuna, cut to Gene Oakland interviewing Shawn Michaels. Now, this is the promo where he introduces Diesel and says who his name is because he had appeared. Um, I, I think he had appeared on TV at that point, but he, he, he debuted properly on a house show when he helped Sean win the belt from Marty, which again, uh-huh. maybe goes, you know, for your argument of they had to get the belt off Marty pretty quickly um, for whatever reason. Uh, but he says his name is Diesel, uh, as in a Mack truck, which makes, you know, engines go or whatever. It's like getting hit by a truck. Hi. Yeah. So, and Gene Oakland's like, yeah, it's confirmed. Yokozuna is the new WWF champion. And Sean who you can tell was probably already his, you know, Shawnee self <laughs> at this point. Um, he makes a point to say that Hogan's like a dinosaur and he should go to yeah, Jurassic Park with all the other does, dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah that, I do remember that. That yeah. to me is a bit of a watershed moment because it's acknowledging for the first time on camera that Hogan is old. I see. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and obviously Gene's like, you know, get out of here and all that. But, um, I really think that that was a very important interview. Um, and he probably shouldn't have done it because no. after you just seen such a fucking dire finish, to then have Shawn Michaels be like, "Yeah, fuck that old bastard." <laughs> like, but the I thing don't is, know if that's the right way to do it. I have a feeling that everyone on that show was probably fuck Hogan at that point because you've yeah, got true. Brett not in the title match, so he's like, "Right, I'm going to have the three best matches of the night." You know, Shawn. So yeah, I, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, love Crush, and we'll get into that. But like you know, you can only do so much with Crush. Uh, mm. You know, it should have really been maybe Sean and Marty the rematch. That would have probably tipped the event really over mm. the top. Um, or have that in where you've got this total filler, <laughs> and you've got the Steiners and the smoking guns versus Money Inc. and the Head Shrinkers. Like, was there any story behind them being paired? Because that all just feels weird and unnecessary. No, and they hadn't even, I believe, gotten into the Steiners Money Inc. tag title changes at that point because the the titles change hands like two times in a week on house shows. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and and um, it, the, the blow off. I mean, there wasn't necessarily a feud as such, but the blow off was the the cage match they had on TV. Uh, but okay. DBRC was on his way out. Uh, they were very much pushing IRS as a singles at that point anyway. Um, mm. But they needed to establish, I know this sounds stupid, but they needed to establish the Steiners in WWF. Yeah, um, God. I know. <laughs> the greatest um, tag team they've ever lived. <laughs> so yeah, the Smoking Guns had been around less than a month at that point, I think. And Is that tr- why they look so over the top and young pistoly rather than like the Smoking Guns? Pretty much. I mean, yeah, they were fully gimmicked up. They had the shirt, they had the coat. But, uh, you know, have, um, have you ever been to like a, a UK country club night or uh, like festival or something? You know, like not not like a normal country gig, but the ones where they have like the line dancing and that. Right. Because there's there's always like reenactor types that you end up you call westerners, and they're always like ridiculously overdressed, and they've got the 
like they do like quick draw contests with those like blank fires like they've got there. And I kept looking at it, just thinking, ah, shit, I must be time for my next set. <laughs> Jump up on the stage. What, what's next? <laughs> we're singing God bless Texas, Jesus. <laughs> the the cap guns were naff. They were really naff. They were not what needed. Is, what's fucking amazing, though, is how disgusted Heenan is by the fact that a rodeo scholarship is a thing. <laughs> And like yeah. JR tries to explain about rodeo to him, and he just starts going, Happy Trails. <laughs> just like, just proper trolling him. That was, like, that was Heenan's good moment. Yeah. No, he was he was really good at like mocking Jim Ross for, for being from Oklahoma as well. And if he had absolutely no argument to something, Jim Ross, he, he was just like, Yeah, but you're from Oklahoma. And yeah, like, you stupid hillbilly. He does a few times to say, But you wouldn't understand that, would you? You're from Oklahoma. He's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like the biggest uh, sport you've got there is like bowling or something like that, you know. Um, <laughs> Even though the Sooners are like a mighty college team. <laughs> um, so the one thing I found interesting, though, about this tag match, because it was short and it was unneeded. Um, and It wasn't bad. I just didn't care about it. No, it, it really wasn't. You can't have a bad match with, you know, the Steiners. Money. All of those guys in it. Yeah. Um, but it achieved nothing. But Jim Ross did something that was probably frowned upon at that time. He acknowledged that DBRC was second generation and he acknowledged that IRS was from Syracuse and talked about their sporting uh. backgrounds a bit, which they never... IRS was not mentioned as Mike Rotundo ever. Whereas in mm. WCW, you've got to give them credit, even during the Jim Hurd era, that Michael Wall Street legally changed his name from Mike Rotundo because there was no... yeah gap of him being off TV or anything. It wasn't like he was repackaged. He just, he just went from Varsity Man to Wall Street, yeah. Well, you, you say that. He went from Varsity Man to Ship Captain. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. I always try to forget the boat period. I, I, I didn't like the... Because uh, I was just like, oh, yeah, Captain Rotunda, Captain of the Varsity team. Then I forget he was also, like, Captain Bird's Eye at one point as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he did say he got a free boat out of that, you know. Oh, well... Mint. Can, I'll dress up as Captain Bird's Eye. He'll give us a boat, like Jesus. You can imagine he did one of those like Alan Partridge boat uh, corporate videos. Throw a dead cow on him. Going <laughs> <laughs> under the bridge. But it's like it's like you're talking, we talked about this last time where Doctor Death. So they literally made him a doctor on like a vignette when he's like I think he's you know CPR on someone back to life and gets in the ambulance with him and stuff like that. And it's just like come it's, on. He was just called Doctor Death in college football, like because <sighs> of his headgear. I think it was so like. You don't need a gimmicky reason for everything, like no, you really don't. So, um, yeah, the eight man tag it for it is a very odd inclusion. Uh, I guess you could, if you'd have made it a tag title match, it wouldn't have um done it any justice. Uh, and I guess you know, it, having those names on there isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what would you have done? Would you have maybe you've had a battle royal or something where someone became like a contender for something or? I think there's so much has been happening that I would have probably just gone to crushing Michaels afterwards. Yeah. Like, it just, it just wasn't needed. I mean, it was good to get them talking about the rodeo thing. <laughs> I mean, this is something funny I saw on some rodeo the other day. Like, my last is massive on PBR. And um, there was, like, a weekend event somewhere where there was a traditional, for want of a better word, like, rodeo one day, and then the proper, like, PBR that's just the pro bull riding was the next day. Uh, that was like in the league, but there was a rodeo contest the day before. <laughs> like one of the commentators was a guy who commentates in the PBR and he's like very serious and like rodeo really is a proper sport. Like you can see why there would be a scholarship. That's a terrifying, dangerous sport that people die in all the time. And he's like taking it dead seriously. 
And the other commentator seemed to be a local guy who I think was a, an ex-rodeo clown. <laughs> he kept saying weird stuff and doing like random funny stuff. It was like having Dusty on commentary. But there's one part where they're just about to go to like the last ride and um, the PBR guy's breaking down the stats. And, he's, and the other guy goes like, he's like, let me interrupt you. I've got to do something important. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he just goes, ladies, on the mic over the road. He goes, I got chills, they're multiplying. What? <laughs> the audience are like, and I'm losing control. <laughs> and they like, don't know what's going on. <laughs> just, uh, that is the most, like, seeing the spirit of Dusty Roads in the wild. I think I've seen, like, since <laughs> Dusty's passing. It was fucking amazing. Such car crash commentary. It was wonderful. Oh, that's incredible. The commentator's just like, this was the important thing you needed to say. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, go ahead. I got chills. It's so dumb. Oh, anyway, shit. sorry. Back no, to question, Sean. Like, entirely worth it. Entirely worth it. So the thing is, I, I do feel that if it, if it was going to be Sean and Marty, that you wouldn't have needed the eight-man tag because Sean and Marty would have naturally had a it good would have lasted match. long enough. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and um, the Sean Crush match, I... Apart from the end, I don't remember, uh, you know, because the they had a match on the UK Rampage event, which is a far superior match, and the crowd are more into it as well. I think the crowd are a little exhausted by this point, and it's a shame yeah. that I see title matches in that position. Yeah, I thought that as well. Like, it was a decent enough match, but like you say, I don't remember a lot about it. There's a part where there's a front face lock gets put on that lasts for ages, and that finishes the crowd off. They're like fairly into it, and then that front face lock does them. The main things I remember were commentary and gear. Like Crush came out in his own bongo gear. We still know <laughs> Jimmy Buffett music. Sean had that like cool black and grey like piebald markings, like he was wearing a cow yeah. on his trousers. And then Diesel looked like a mirror ball that Cinderella had asked the fairy godmother <laughs> to make into a bouncer. Like, why did Diesel look like that? Yeah, that was a that was a look, wasn't it? Because um, <laughs> when he when he very first debuted, he had a tracksuit. I don't know if you remember the tracksuit. Um, I don't. Uh, but it was like sort of you know football manager tracksuit sort of thing, sort of black Aye. and blue stripes and everything. And then he very sharply moved to the the white uh, double denim with the studs with the little the mirror bits. bits. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The thing no. is, it's such a. <laughs> I guess it's such a. Sean Michaels thing to do though to have someone look tough but also dress like that if if it was like real you know like uh, have have the the flash going on as well um mm. but obviously that look did not and I think they were experimenting with Diesel's look obviously at that point they, they do manage to make him look cool later just this is not the time yeah just sorry I just knocked the table there um that's all right why did Savage keep yelling Shakabra all the time and it just felt like <laughs> Sassafras like what the fuck was going on there well, that was Crush's uh, catchphrase, shaka bra. It's not a catchphrase. It's not even a word. Well, bra I means shaka bra. Brother, bra's brother. I don't know. What so he's just is. telling you, oh, I'm shocked, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's his catchphrase is randomly, excitedly shouting, oh, I'm shocked, mate. Another like, thing that you would always say, Randy Savage, on these events is that a baby, that a baby, Brett. <laughs> That it made me crush. It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> what on earth is that? Didn't didn't notice that. I, I, did you not like the ending of this match? Because I did. Or were you just saying that's all you remember? No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I, the bit that I, I remember before Doink comes out is 
Sean... It's Doink and Doinker. It's not just Doink. <laughs> well, Sean, I've never seen this before or since. Sean grabs Crush's head and just repeatedly bangs his head off the ring post. <laughs> like, it's like, surely then if every match you could win like that, you would just do it? Because I couldn't think of a more painful thing. Yeah, just obliterate someone's <laughs> face with an iron bar. <laughs> it was really, like, un- unnecessarily violent. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> like, and Because um, Crush as well, I guess they were playing upon the fact that Donk had hit him over the head and he had concussions. He hit him with a fake stuff. arm or something like that. Hit him with a fake arm, covered in, you know, full of batteries and all that kind of stuff. And then Crush somehow, after that, gets back in the gets back in the mix and then the thing is as well a part of the reason why i love this event is they do make a point of trying they don't include everyone but they include all the important names that made 1993 even if it's just a little cameo like with luna in the last match um yeah you know so i i love that that you at least are on the event so doink does that great uh with doink behind him do the the mimic they're marching to the ring and it doesn't, you can't tell immediately if there's another doink behind him or not, but then if you do. You can't know because Heenan gives it away before you see him because he goes, how many doinks are there? And you're like, well, I'm guessing more than one. Which side is he on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so is it. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and, and doink, uh, the Matt Bourne doink, I mean, his facial expression's perfect. I think he's got a cigar in mm. his mouth as well. And he does, yeah. Just, uh, the thing is, though, the, the crush doink feud was pretty much like you know cooling off by this point uh i think they may have had a blow-off match on a roar or something like that not long after that but right, uh, okay. you know it, i mean they were certainly going around the house shows and stuff and uh steve kern was wrestling legit as dunk on other shows that matt bourne wasn't at um but yeah so they basically distract crush and uh crush loses clean to Shawn michaels i guess well as clean as you can I was going to say, is that clean when two clowns get involved? <laughs> I'd definitely call that a shenanigans finish. Like, I think the kind of wasn't a bad one, but it wasn't clean. Well, the, the thing with having it's the same as what happened with Tatanka in the Incarnate Title match, and both probably because Marty wasn't there for whatever reason, is they booked themselves into a corner with the opponent that they gave to Sean. Sean can't mm. beat Tatanka cleanly, so Tatanka has to win by a count out at WrestleMania. Um, and never get a rematch or anything like that. And he still pins Crush. And I just don't think, I think any shine that was on Crush at that point, I mean, it seemed like Crush did nothing but job after a while. And then Yoko put him out within a month. And then um, he gets the bum drop, doesn't he? And it like writes him off completely. Yeah. And then that leads to the Crush Savage feud much later on. So I just, for someone that looks like Crush and for how popular he was in the arena, you, like, you can't say that you, yeah, all the kids were doing He was definitely Crush. popular. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, I guess he's got the look of the time as well. Yeah. I, I obviously prefer Chronic Crush, but like the, this looked 93. You had a battle of the blonde mullets between him and Sean, and he had oh. the flashy gear, and he was over with the kids. Like, I thought some was... wonderful mullets going on in this match. Like, <laughs> I definitely um, were. Like, so and the thing is, though, because everyone's like, oh, why was Rude never champion? Why was perfect? It was just, it wasn't what WWF was about. That It wasn't about putting the title on everyone just because they felt that it was deserved. I had a question to ask you about that, actually. Okay. Because obviously the final that comes afterwards is Bam Bam Bigelow versus Bret Hart. 
Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I remember Bam Bam winning the ECW Championship, I think. And I'm pretty sure he won the WCW tag belts twice when he was in the Jersey Triad. Mm-hmm. But did Bam Bam win anything in WWF? I know he obviously lost to Lawrence Taylor and that was shameful. But like, did he win anything? He doesn't win the King of the Ring here. No, he never won a title in WWF. Did he win any title? Not in WWF, no. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean in general. I've seen him win belts all over the place elsewhere. But like, so that that's that seems strange to me. Like, I guess it's kind of if you don't. It, this is why I get why they didn't put the belt on Luger. If you don't have strong enough opponents to face as champion, then, then it's a wasted run, and you look shit. Yeah, um, you know, I'm. I don't know what Bam Bam would have done with say the Intercontinental Belt that Sean wasn't doing brilliantly anyway. Um, and Bam Bam wasn't in a position to really be a tag champion with anyone at that time. Um, and certainly not a world champion if, you know, Yoko was being a heel and everything as well. So it's just, just got another muckle bloke here. Yeah. They're never going to switch it from one to another like that, are they? He, he always seemed like the type of, I mean, the work rate match, certainly. And also you could feasibly put him in any main event and he would be credible. Um, oh yeah, definitely. So like, you know, it, it's one of those things that not, I guess just not everyone needed a belt. Um hmm. And I don't think Bam Bam probably complained that he was never, you know, in title matches when, you know, I think he was probably, if anything, more pleased that he was in the main event against Lawrence Taylor that wasn't a title match because it was just the big He didn't have to match. fucking lose the belt to a footballer. That would have been terrible. <laughs> um, so, and I think the, it was he was in strong enough storylines as well that there doesn't need to be a belt on the line. Like the Bam Bam yeah, storyline was pretty strong. And I mean, even the, and it sounds ridiculous, but the Bam Bam Doink storyline for a little bit was quite strong. And then, you know, then he ended up in the corporation and he was, mm. used, he was used very well throughout uh, until arguably his last couple of months when they probably knew he was on his way out. So he started jobbing to everyone. Just job him out. Um, but yeah, no, he, he never won a, never won a title. Well, that, that is interesting, that. Well, it's like so Luger never won a title either in WWF. No, none at all. He not wasn't all. there that long, though, was he? He was like, Bam Bam had been there in the 80s as well, hadn't he? That's true. And, and bear in mind, he was used very well in the 80s. He was teaming up with Hogan in 87, 88. Mm. Uh, you know, he wasn't there that long. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing, actually, how short of a run he had in 87, 88. Probably less than a year. And he was basically used on top. I mean, he will have been the main event on B shows at least and teaming up with Hogan on the A shows. Um, and it makes you wonder why they never had Bam Bam turn on Hogan and then have an inevitable, what would have been a decent match in the 80s. Yeah. But He would have got a good match out with Hogan. Yeah. Because he'd know the big man like King Kong Bundy match style, but he's also like a really good hand. <laughs> you don't really expect a guy who's like, his gear's basically that shirt that every alternative lad wore at a school Christmas party <laughs> in the nineties. And like he's got tattoos on his head and he's the size of a house. So you you don't really expect him to be as good in the ring as he as he really is, yeah. or he was. And and there was no there was no gimmick as well. Like he, I don't know why he wore the flames. I guess only because he had flames on his head. Like I think yeah, that's probably the only reason. And I guess to be represented by a, it's kind of weird. He, he was represented as a natural element, <laughs> like sort of you know. There's kind of, but there's connotations to that. I guess like fire is dangerous, and you know, and this is nothing WWF came up with because he was wearing the flames before 
Oh, I wore them all over the place. Certainly, and he wore them in Japan and in WCW. Mm-hmm. Like, in, uh, I mean, there's 1990, you know, little run in WCW as well. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, th- there was always there was a bit of a criticism. It's a cor- it's a cornet thing basically, but I don't I see his point to some degree that he was big and tough and he looked like a biker. So that's maybe the look he should have had, like the onesie flames. They already had that with one man gang though. That's, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But maybe in like 93 or whatever. But I guess that's just not what WWF was. It was visually, you know. Cartoony, though. A biker doesn't look cartoony. Like a biker is a real thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I agree. I agree. Um, and it, it certainly didn't hurt by my Especially when they were talking about the fact he was a bounty hunter. I mean, even Vince talked about that later on to add mm. some like true like legitimacy like in toughness to him which was very un WWF at that point talking about someone's real life in that way yeah especially just with... as a character that they own yeah yeah um so yeah we're getting to the getting to the finals we do I enjoyed this match although I thought the fake finish really hurts it and makes it the worst of the three Brett matches on the night and I don't think it's Brett or Bam Bam's fault but I'd been really enjoying the story where Brett's just like too tired to handle Bam Bam after his match with Mr. Perfect. So getting the decision reversed in like a convoluted way, that just really shit the match up there for me, especially since they then it wasn't like, you know, when you get, no, we'll restart this match. And then there's like a minute and then the match finishes. Mm-hmm. It was just like, Nope, reverse the decision. We're having another match. So I guess you could say Brett has the four best matches of the night because <laughs> this is two. But like they didn't do that for Hogan, who got blown up by a camera. Crush got like distracted by two clowns and then pinned Bam Bam Bigelow. It's like, nope. <laughs> another and... referee's gonna come and reverse the decision. Yeah, Tatanka and Luger literally wanted five more minutes. <laughs> and they said, nah. <laughs> yeah, that 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 does put a bit of a cloud over the event. I found it quite funny that Bigelow's reaction when he's enraged on the reverse the decision is he's going to go over and headbutt Bret Hart in the bum. <laughs> That's not the first thing I do when I'm pure raging. Not somebody's ass. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, the, the Luna thing without any build-up whatsoever, it, you know, I think they could have just had Luna come out with him all night instead yeah, of, you know... Just be in his corner. Yeah, and, and acknowledged it on Raw, whatever before, beforehand. Um, the what ruins it for me even more than the false finish is Howard Finkel getting the announcement wrong. Now, whether I'm assuming this was a work, um, but it legit felt like a mistake um, when Howard Finkel said the decision was reversed, and then you know the crowd lose the shit, and I mean, it just shows you how into. It, there were that the crowd were going to accept a shitty finish like that if they were going to reverse <laughs> the decision. Um, I, it's like the Hogan thing at WrestleMania 9. Like, the crowd were into it, no matter how shitty and screwy. I just it was. none of the viewers at home. Yeah, it's different yeah. with the one that are in the building but than the, the one that are at home. It makes you think, though, did Howard think legitimately make a mistake when he did that? Maybe he's just put off by how many times Randy Savage was randomly being Aretha Franklin. <laughs> he kept being like, ah, R-E-S-P-A-C-T-U, Brett. Yes, I do. And he like he, he spelled out a few things, but the respect thing happened a couple of times. I was like, why are you doing this, do you white want, man in 1993? Do you want some context? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Go on then. Well, for whatever reason, I think Vince got his hands on the song Respect. And uh, before WrestleMania 9, they did a Respect music video with the Aretha song 
Oh, I didn't know that. It had no... I mean, there was no... That's the thing, though. There, were, there was really no storyline for Brett and Yoko leading up to Mania 9, so I guess you had to have some kind of music videos or anything to build it up, because uh, it was literally Yoko wins the Rumble, beats him up in a contract sign, and, and then they have a title match. Uh, but that's, uh, Savage really milked that by taking it all the way through to King of the Ring, because it wasn't like they continued to show that video after WrestleMania 9. Right, so it seems kind of pointless for him to be doing it. It does, but I, I love, because Jim Ross is like, fuck's sake, and he's, he even has to reference it. He's like, yeah, Aretha sang it, and Brett lives it every day of his life. Ah, uh, you know, I just wondered what was going on there. <laughs> what? Well, that's the thing, out of context, it just seems a little bit daft. Um, Random, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... It's a, it's quite, a, it's a reasonably slow pace match. But I mean, God, the Brett whips Bam Bam into the railings, and he nearly takes out the front row with Aye. how he jumps into those. Ra- like they are really going for it on this match. They know that. I, I really do feel that they are consciously sticking it to Hogan throughout this entire event. But like, look, he is a big man who also can have a great match that's well worked and really mobile. Fuck you, old guy. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not actually that old. <laughs> No, he's not, but I, I guess it was not necessarily the old thing as much as the, I don't want a job cleanly. Um, you know, he's probably getting paid more than everyone else on the roster. Uh, so and I think... That's basically the worst match of the night as well. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I mean, you say that, but I mean, it depends what you... The Doug and Bam Bam or the Mr. Hughes. Uh, okay, maybe the Mr. Hughes one. I still enjoyed Doug and Bam Bam. The no, crowd did as well, like... No, they did, uh, but I mean, it was a very short match and stuff like that, but yeah, the Hogan-Yoko... It was certainly the end ruins that match. Um, no, definitely. But the, uh, yeah, no, I, I really think as well, it was wrestlers showing their worth. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I, you just get a feeling that throughout the entire event, the entire roster are really working hard. Like you can compare that to any, I would say any event they ever did before that. And I don't think top to bottom, you see a roster working quite as hard. Yeah, that's probably fair. In WWF, um, there was something that confused me, and I don't know if this was of them sticking it to Hogan. After Brett wins, really briefly, like Randy Savage runs in, and he like grabs Brett like he's going to celebrate with him or something, and then the camera comes back and he's gone. Yeah, I don't know if that's if that was planned or not. Or if it was just Savage trying to get some shine, like he also... yeah, just like Hogan to worry with the belt swap and that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it adds credibility to Brett having Savage in some really, you know, quick way kind of pass the torch. I mean, he does it when Wanty Free Kid and Jeanette won the tag belts as well. Um, he runs in the ring. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the once the match restarts, I mean, the crowd do pick back up again. And, um, I mean, they pop like hell for when Brett wins. And uh, Bam Bam on a shoot interview a few years later said when Brett did that victory roll, he actually farted in Bam Bam's face. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Bam Bam. Jim Ross is on fire. Like, he's um, one of the best calls I think he ever made was, and I wish I could quote it, but he's like, never in my life have I seen such an athletic display of excellence as as we have seen tonight. Like, it's just like mm. a sentence. He's making and, it sound sporty. Oh, like, and just presented with such passion. And they're all saying, oh, this is a great pay-per-view. Because they knew it was as well. It yeah. wasn't hyperbole or anything you like that. You can tell how excited they were like that. There's a bit where Savage is giving post-match analysis 
And I don't know if it was after crushing Michaels or after the tag match. Mm-hmm. But like he is really excited and into it, which does make the, the glittery t-shirt look funny when he's being like a twitchy rage chimp but he's also like dressed in absolute sparkles <laughs> twitchy rage chimp ah right yeah um <laughs> i really um, felt like brett got his mileage out of being crowned here like that felt like something he always wanted i bet he knocked one out when he had that crown and robe on <laughs> um here's a, a bit of a random fact years later they did a best of the king of the ring dvd and there's just random pictures of previous kings and there's a picture of brett the 1997 picture with which they've used on so much merchandise that um, mm. they'll even photoshop this top to look more like a top from that an event that they're trying to you know, say that he's from and stuff like that. So they actually, because this crown was one of Jerry Lawler's actual crowns. Was it? Yeah. Um, and But the thing is, though, it's such a mass-produced crown. You can buy that crown from a crown maker online if you wanted to, uh, like currently. And they must have got another version of that crown because they photoshopped it onto Brett's head on the front of the DVD. <laughs> um, and it just looks really daft. Um, so the robe as well, uh, after King of the Ring 93, it was used at King of the Ring 96, but Austin does, obviously doesn't put on a robe for his uh, for his induction, uh, his coronation speech. Um, and as for the scepter, if you if anyone's listened to the uh, Rob Klein interview that I did, uh, he was the prop designer during that time, and he designed that scepter, and it was designed to break over Brett's head. Basically, they said he said that he made it out of like paper mache, the top bit, and mm. it kept crumbling when he tried to paint it and stuff like that. So I think he coated it in something else, and then put the gold on, put the gems on, and he was like, "This looks like Indiana Jones." lost temple shit like, you know it just like looks amazing so they're sat at home watching this because they'll all he said oh we'll always watch the pay-per-views at home and we'll always pop when one of our you know designs shows up on the telly so this yeah. <laughs> all that breaks the scepter <laughs> over brett's head and the first thing he does when the ball falls off the scepter is he throws it into the audience because rob Klein was like i was really hoping to get that back <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> and the thing is though whoever caught it will have probably crushed it in the hand straight away like thus any you know because it's never yeah it's never shown up anywhere um and it's not in the warehouse because they've still got the crown that he stood on and they've obviously still got the cape but um yeah the scepter's never never been seen again um right so they, they they do make a big deal like gene oakland like places the crown on brett's head and uh like you say you can tell brett's loving every second of dressing like a king <laughs> absolutely i am the king of wrestling this is finally being recognized all hail king brett the wrestle god so very shortly after that uh, jerry lawler comes out now if you've seen episodes of superstars leading up to this he's already uh annoyed that there's even a tournament in existence this is why he comes out and he's like i'm gonna Go out and spoil I know he had like a Highlander rule, like there can be only one king, so mm-hmm. I'm going to come out and do you in. Makes but, sense. But he didn't enter the tournament, so that gives him enough heat as well. Like, you know, he's like, I don't Pussy need to enter the king. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's like, he, he doesn't need to enter because he is the real king and stuff like that. So then he, uh, the, he's, he's great. I mean, he's one of the best talkers ever. There's no denying that. And, oh, um, definitely. And Brett it feels is- quite shocking from coming out. It's, it's very un WWF. It's well, like I often thought that, and it's something that happens today as well. 
you'll watch the pay-per-view and then it feels like, and they all lived happily ever after <laughs> the end. Whereas this gave you like a reason to watch yeah. next week. Like there was, there was something to draw you in. You knew there was a plan of what came next and like having them end on an angle rather than a, a happy end and they all drank lemonade at the end kind of thing really added to it, I thought, because then you see the baby face get kicked shitless, basically, in left lane. Well, that's the thing. On a pit view, even if a heel won at the end, Hogan would still come in, beat him up, and then pose for 10 minutes anyway. Uh, mm. This was such a, like you say, a unique ending for a pit view. They'd never done anything like that before, uh, especially with someone who, I mean, Lola had not been in WWF for that long and it really felt like an event for uh, how I feel about Survivor Series 92 as well, that they were showing a lot of fresh faces that night mm-hmm. in front of a WWF audience. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, Lola, I mean, he picks up that whole throne and drops it on Brett, which the did one not... with the stool looks painful as well. Both yeah. those shots did. Yeah. Doesn't look fun. And then Brett sells it amazingly by falling backwards down the stairs as well. And uh, I don't know how much it's selling and how much he's just been hit with a fucking stool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jim Ross is amazing at this point as well. He's like, couldn't be more disgusted that Jerry Lawler's uh, attacking Brett and everything. And uh, yeah, no, that's, that's how it goes off air. And it leads to probably feud of the summer, even over, Luger and Yoko, uh, the Brett Lawler feud. Because um, my foot feud. Well, I mean, that was a couple of years later when they became... Oh, was co- it? Yeah, that they really, you know, when they would dip back into it when they needed to. Uh, but mm, That makes sense. Uh, this was basically, you know, Lawler calling Brett an imposter uh, for being a king, even though Lawler sat in a pink Cadillac with an Elvis impersonator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is in the middle of the Memphis stuff as well. And uh, yeah, superb. What a way to go off the air and uh, really create some intrigue, I thought. So what do you think of that? Was this the start of that Burger King chant? This is the first time I heard it, yeah. Because it, Brett, it's very laboured and deliberate. He's like, you're not a king. And he like looks at the crowd and he's like, you're a Burger King, Burger King, Burger <laughs> King. <laughs> like tells them what to chant when they do it. I really wish Jerry got a chance to have some kind of comeback. He's always so offensive. He'd be like, "Call me the Burger King, you're Brett the Shitman Shot." Like, <laughs> just have a chance to really get back on him, not be like, "No, not the burgers." <laughs> well, yeah, was Rebo Man still there? So we could have had the Hamburglar versus the oh. uh, the Burger King in a kind of cross promotional. McDonald's versus Burger King battle. Sadly not. No, but I, I tell you what, though, going slightly off topic, when I interviewed Henry Godwin this week, I finally asked if uh, Mantor ended up on his farm. Um, <laughs> and he How said, yes, if you waited to ask that. Oh, so long. So long. I never, you never think you get the chance to ask Henry Godwin this on your own podcast, you know. Um, He's a big farmer, though, so surely not. I never thought of that. Yeah. Sorry oh, for farm logic. Oh. Okay, this is the end of every podcast. I quit. No. Um, <laughs> Just ruined your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed receptive to it. That's what matters. Um, so, yeah, no, overall, what yeah, high marks for the pay-per-view, I'm guessing, from you. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe in numbers and ratings and all that shite, but I thought this was a really, really good show. The only things that really let it down is the unnecessary multi-man tag match and the incendiary camera. Yeah, 
And I'm, I'm guessing as well, you because it's been a while since you've really watched anything 1993, unless I've forced you into watching it. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, I've usually only seen 93 under due wrestling. <laughs> because <of you. laughs> and, uh, all, all I was remembering about this was the Polaroid rage. So I was, I, was, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised at actually how much the rest of this is good. Yeah. And like I say, you know, if we're going to base it on any kind of ratings, it generally everyone gave it thumbs up from what I saw from all the magazines at the time. And I'm sure, you know, all of the more established sheets or whatever, probably very much, I, I guess enjoyed it, but were also very pleasantly surprised as you were as well. Mm, totally. And like, it almost gives you a false impression. Like I've, I've never really been a WWF guy. There's a lot of the stuff I like, but you watch that show and you would like just say to me, like, why weren't you into this? And it makes us seem like a hypocrite. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, that event, though, as you, as you know, is very different to the other pay-per-views of 93. Oh, um, definitely. Like the Survivor Series in 93 is like one of my least favourite oh, WWF periods. We might get into that at some point because there's so much to talk about. There's why. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to set that set that off as a topic. I'm sure we can do that around the Survivor Series time if you want. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, night the, and day between this and that. Don't I mean? Because don't get me wrong. '93 probably my favorite year. Survivor Series '93 one of my least favorite events. And oh, uh, and I can see why. Well, you know, we'll leave that at that. But uh, so we're gonna also uh, very soon review another King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. We're going to be uh, moving on slightly into the future, but it feels like a real sea change in the company. And we'll be doing King of the Ring 96 rather than 93, which is most famous, as a lot of people will probably remember, for the creation of the Austin 316. What would you even call that? It was just such a long feature of wrestling, wasn't it? Those 316 signs and various jokes off them. I, I thought you were going to say it was famous for the debut of Cloudy. Who the fuck's Cloudy? Okay, we'll leave that. <laughs> if you don't remember Cloudy, then we're in for a treat. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, what have I got myself in for? Like, you know, and I only remembered one thing about this that was shit, and the rest of it was good. Am I going to have remembered one good thing about King of the Ring 96, and then the rest of it's fucking bollocks? Because I haven't really seen that since nearly back then. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. I think we'll leave yeah, that well, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that at that. <laughs> we had some questions still to to field, and the, obviously, the, I'm sorry, to listeners, that there's been a pause where we had to uh, we had to do some other things in between. So there's been a few weeks before you could get these answered. Mm-hmm. But we first we had James. Let's just bring his question up because he worded it more smartly than my brain does. Where are we at? Should I entertain the audience so there's no crickets? It's clearly too 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 clever for me to read. You can edit this bit out, or we can just leave you. No, let's leave it in. Oh, the thing is, right? Okay, when you watch the the network version of King of the Ring, did it cut to the superstar line bit? I don't think so. Where Razor Ramon basically called Mister Perfect's mom a prostitute. No, that didn't happen. Okay. I found the question now. Okay, well, that's only on the line. never as good as Terry Funk going, your mother's a whore. Oh, no, nothing is. But, like, you know, so they've cut that out then, which is a shame, because those superstar lines, I guess, because they're not being aired, they all, you know, but it's it's kind of hilarious, almost like a comedy. Do you know when someone always walks in in, like, the worst possible position, like when something awkward's going on? Um, 
on King of the Ring 93, they cut to Mr. Perfect Man being called a whore by Riz Rohn. And at SummerSlam Summer 93, they cut to someone calling in to The Undertaker, who's in gimmick, going, oh, so when you beat Jake the Snake at WrestleMania 8, and they immediately cut off it because you can't mention any names that weren't with the company at that point. And you can he's a WCW, tell, isn't he? Yeah, well, you can even tell Undertaker in gimmick is slightly like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to Bobby Heenan and go, why do you have idiots ringing up? <laughs> and then they sharply get off it. So anyway, the question. Yeah. The question. James asked us, what do you think of Triple H co-opting lots of old WCW, NWA stuff and trying to make it fit NXT? Now, that's fairly fitting because they've just announced that they're about to do a Great American Bash, aren't they? For me, it's not something that I'm a fan of. Sometimes it feels like it's just malicious to keep copyrights away from other people like when they started trying to copyright WCW stuff they didn't even have because Cody Rhodes wanted to use stuff that his dad made and they're like how dare you use your dad's intellectual property don't you know we own wrestling yeah so like I don't like that and in terms of them bringing back the war games and that like I've watched a couple of them of the NXT war games like I remember I'd been on a night out when then I'd we went to a gig first and then we went out afterwards. So we were all pretty like wound up and off our heads. But we were all excited that War Games was coming back. And we watched that fucking debacle that was the first War Games they had with the like children's toy cage with no roof and three different teams who were all in different glass cages who then each team would be released in its entirety at the time. And I was just like, what are you doing? Don't call this war games. What is this? But like, I don't know. I don't think they always totally misappropriate the usage. Like I watched that first women's war games and that was actually a fantastic match. Like it, it's not properly in keeping with being a traditional war games match, but it has the vibe and the feel. So I don't think it's necessarily all bad. But uh, I question the motives behind using these properties. Well, was it any more, in your opinion, of a bastardization of war games than, say, the 98 war games or the 2000 war games? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> the, the, that first one is up there with, like, if anything, take Warrior out of that 98 one, and I still prefer that. <laughs> right. To <okay>. This NXT <laughs> war games. And it's no fault of the talent. You've got, like, the Undisputed Era. The authors of pain and sanity are the three teams. Like there are loads of good guys, but mm. the match is just stupid and full of really cheesy spots and that. And like if you're a WWE fan, you might like it. It's very much in keeping with the modern WWE style. And there's loads of like proper set pieces that take ages to set up. Yeah. But for me to see all of that sort of stuff and it to be called the war games just made me want to puke. That you might as well just have a money in the bank match and say, This is the Royal Rumble this year, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> what? You know what WWE are like with nostalgia? They never do it. I mean, I know this wasn't just an attempt at nostalgia. It was an attempt to make something new out of it. But they'll bring back something old and... And make you not like it. Well, I guess. I mean, again, Todd's at this in your house, and I'm going to watch it, and I hopefully will enjoy it, Uh, besides just Todd being there, because, you know, there's a whole card of wrestling, and I am meant to be a wrestling fan. Um, (laughs) You know, so... You know, they, they get they know how to in the short term bring you in in terms of the nostalgia by having bringing back war games. They brought back Starcade, you know, and they, they Ugh, had they had a couple stars on that. No, I know, but they had a couple of moments though when the natural came out and when Arn Anderson came out, and you know, but mm. they nowhere near. They do that on this war games as well. 
right. at the start. Uh, the natural and on it together in the crowd and they're jumping up and doing the like, four horsemen symbol and that and you're like yeah get in and that somehow makes this fucking travesty that comes next even worse mm. but, but the, I, part of me I'm trying to play devil's advocate is like sort of glad that they're at least using these intellectual properties because I in, so, better than just owning them and doing out. Yeah, um, but at the same time, I mean, because they, um, they've done well with the DVD releases. They did like best, best of Great American Bash, best of the US title, best of Starcade. Mm. That US title one was quite good. I did see that box set. I just stopped once it got to the, the rebooted <laughs> version of it in the 2000s. Yeah, you always, you always stop. Oh, well, I usually stop at the third disc of any combination. Because <laughs> I said, and now for after things are bad and we're a publicly traded company. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that one a skip. It's even the same with the books, though, when they do, like, say, the history of Raw or the history of WrestleMania. It's like, I'm not buying a book for the first 50 pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just stand in Waterstones and read it instead and then put it back and then not pay for it, you know. Um, <laughs> as I did with the last, like, five years of WWF magazine, just studying WWF and kind of, like, through them. Um, yeah, no, but I'd, I'd, I'd pretty much agree with you that, you know, it's not great. I think for anyone's criticism of AEW, I think that they would know how to not just bring something back, but have fun with it as well. Um, yeah. Like, when they, they've basically tried to do Beach Blast again. Um, yeah. and they did it far better than WWE would have. All WWE would have done is just put a, you know, a couple of things on the LED screen. They, you know, they don't do props. Do some anymore. augmented reality of a fucking shark or a surfboard. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I I'm, I'm, was so desperate for them to do a proper spring break at that place, but they've uh, mm. just knocked it. <laughs> which you know i know oh the club lavella discard that i always deep, wanted to go there i yeah. always wanted to go there you were absolutely gutted when i showed you that <laughs> <laughs> i was wounded <laughs> so yeah is um so the that... other question we had is quite related so oh sorry were you still answering that question? no no i was i was moving on to the next question oh right well yes the next question was from a regular listener rory and this is also a war games related and he said if you could Book any two factions to have a feud that culminates in war games. Who would it be, and why? Ooh. Isn't that a, isn't that a Pandora's box that you could go with for ages? Say, like, for absolute impossibility, apart from them being from different times, I would like to have the Dangerous Alliance versus the Four Horsemen. I realise you get these people were in both. <laughs> like Arn Anderson, for example. <laughs> <laughs> so that could get complicated. But like, yeah, it's, it's impossible. But I would like to have seen a Dangerous Alliance versus Four Horsemen. Or if you could do a like a full, excuse me, a full time machine, I think you could get a lot of money out of an NWO versus a Bullet Club feud like that. Oh. That would end in war games. That would be insane. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to go a different route. Um, I would have had the teams that we used in the Chamber of Horrors match, but made it an actual war games, uh, a serious war games match. That would have been really good, though. <laughs> yeah, with like the Steiners and Sting and Abby and Cactus and you know whoever else, and they put them. It, in it's a proper dream assembling of people, isn't it? It's just then there's a fucking stupid electric chair involved. 
Oh, and there was electric chair. Oh, I mean, we're going to review Halloween. We're going to do some. We'll Halloween definitely do a bunch of Halloween havocs in October. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's some good WWF Halloween stuff in the 80s as well. Um, oh, you know, well, I'll look forward to it. Saturday night main events and stuff like that. It's uh, cheese, <laughs> cheese fest. But um, no, seriously, I would have had that potential dream match, <laughs> like in an actual war games match. Um, yeah, that's that would, a really good shout. Yeah. I guess if you want to do a totally modern one, we could maybe book a war games where we put Joey Ryan, David <laughs> Starr. Um, maybe we can get Drake Verts to stop refereeing and join the team as well, and they can go in a war game. Who else could I add in with them? And I guess Marty Skull, you can join that team. And on the other side, we'll put in four very hungry tigers. <laughs> Just put that in a war games and put it on pay per view. That'll sell. <laughs> oh, can you imagine Joey Ryan trying to get the tiger to do the dick flip? <laughs> Good lord! Um, right, okay. So I think we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and I'll see you next week. Yep. See you. See you next, fucking hell. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>